Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from the Path of the Eclipse, discussing the 2017 psychological horror film, Gerald's Game. This film was directed by Mike Flanagan with a screenplay by Flanagan and Jeff Howard based off the 1992 novel of the same name by Stephen King. Gerald's Game finds a way to present the story in a visually striking way while still remaining incredibly faithful to its source material. Peppered with references to other Stephen King works and delicately handling themes of cycles of abuse and childhood trauma, this film was received with mostly positive reviews both at its premiere at BFI South Bank and with its subsequent Netflix release. This film was suggested to us by friends of the show, Megan M. and Allison Regal. We want to thank them so much for their support and for this suggestion. This film was also the winner of our February Patreon poll. So thank you to all of our patrons who participated and voted. If you want to help us pick an episode, join us over on the Patreon at patreon.com slash thepodmortem. So what did you guys think of Gerald's Game the first time you saw it? I remember watching it together uh, when it came out on Netflix. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed the movie. It's uh, got some shit in it that's not cool. Um, yeah, but the movie, you're, I, I, uh, I will agree with you as you stated in your opening that it's a very good way of depicting it on the screen mm-hmm. or like telling us the story. Um, it's not a good story, but the, <laughs> but it is, but the story, like, no, the, I, yeah, I get you what know. you're saying. Um, but no, yeah, I did enjoy the shit out of this movie. No, I definitely agree. I really enjoyed this movie the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I had never, and I still have not read Gerald's Game. You gotta. The novel. I have heard that things that happen in the film are way worse in the novel. And Stephen King, as we know, has a way of description that sometimes borders on unnecessary. <laughs> sometimes it's, it's, one might call it too much. Yeah, I would yeah. agree. Um, but I was trying to think of this in the pantheon of flanagan's works and i was like okay so i think we've already got absentia we already have hush mm-hmm. um so i'm already a fanagan of flanagan at this point right <laughs> <laughs> but it's before hill house yeah yeah and so this is kind of the point. oculus yes as well oh, yeah. yeah yes which we have covered um i was also thinking that this was kind of the jumping off point for me where i was like we absolutely need to be paying attention to mike flanagan yeah right. um hush started that for me and then this was the one. And then after Hill House, it's like, well, I will watch anything. Yeah. <laughs> With your name anywhere on it. Yeah, yeah. Abs- absolutely. Producer, um, if you've seen it, I'll watch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the film is very, very good. It is dark. It is very sad. And it's also at some points like genuinely scary. Yeah. Like there were plenty of points um, that I was like, should I be watching this at two in the morning i don't know yeah (laughs) maybe i made a bad life decision (laughs) that led me to this point um i was talking to a friend of the show amanda about my love of small cast yeah single location Mm -hmm. kind of horror films Mm -hmm. and or just films in general they kind of speak to me because it's like you're using this minimalist thing to do so much right and when most of the film takes place in one room yeah you really need to keep your audience's attention you have to keep it interesting so that you're not bored that comes with cinematography challenges all kinds of stuff but they found a way to make it work so well right Mm -hmm. they always just keep it so interesting yeah and i think that speaks to 
the the people that are on board all making this move these movies happen like that because you're right if we don't have that opportunity to jump around, go to this place, that place. Oh, we need a uh, research scene. We got to go here. We got to, you know what I mean? Yeah. This movie does, we don't need any of that. We get all of that happening in this room or throughout the film. Yeah, we, there is different locations, but barely, very yeah, minimum. Barely. Yeah. Very minimum. And with things that are said, like there's so much horror in a lot of the dialogue. Yes. Right. That I'm like, you don't have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already <laughs> Have you tried not saying that? <laughs> but I, I love it. Uh I think the thing about Mike Flanagan for me is that he cares so much about everything that goes into his films. Right. Yeah. And you feel it every time you watch one of Flanagan's films. Could not agree more. Um are you guys ready for my hot take? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a hot take at all. I love this movie. Um, this was the movie, I think, that really got me on board where, like you were saying, okay, whatever, whatever you have to say, I want to see it. I want to hear it. Um, I read the novel Gerald's Game when I was a teenager, and I would stay up in my bed reading it with my uh, like bedside lamp on mm -hmm. and the overhead light off. And so I would convince myself that I was seeing things in the corner of my room because of the way that it's described in the book. I would just stay up late, way too late, scaring the shit out of myself. <laughs> so I've read Gerald's Game multiple times because of that feeling that it gave me the first time I read it of just, I guess, pure terror. I don't know. <laughs> I keep going back to it. Mm -hmm. But then I hear film adaptation and there are ways and we can get into it kind of as the film goes along. But there are ways that it's executed in the novel where I'm like, well, how are you going to make that work visually? And the way that Flanagan does it, it's so masterful. The changes that are made are so necessary for, you know, changing the medium from novel to film mm -hmm. because I'm like, Oh, it wasn't like that in the book. Like <laughs> I just went and saw knock at the cabin and you know, John Paul's already nodding. I, I know, I know. Well, um, he's doing the opposite yeah. of nodding. <laughs> he was shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> he nodded first. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's like, actually she had a red shirt on oh. in the novel, you know, but, oh, right. um, Every change was essential and to me appreciated and the way that he is so thoughtful and takes so much care because as a, you know, constant reader, there are multiple Stephen King references just throughout right. that if you don't get it, it doesn't matter. But if you do get it, you're like, wow, thank you, Mike Flanagan. Like, I appreciate that. It's one of those, like, I remember you saying, when you watched Evil Dead when you were a kid, you were like, wow, they made this for me. Yeah, uh, That's how I feel about this. That's okay. how I feel about Gerald's Game. It is very, very sad. It's heartbreaking. It's really disgusting and disturbing. Um, a lot of aspects of it. But as somebody who loved that novel so much and loved it at that stage when you're a teenager where you eat, like when you love something, you love it. You know right, what I mean? Right. Yeah. Getting that in film version and getting it so respectfully done to the source material and all the little Easter eggs. I mean, I'm, I'm a pig and shit. I can't I, like, it no, doesn't get better. I've heard pigs love it. <laughs> <laughs> can't remember where I heard that. But. I don't know. <laughs> but, it, but that's, that goes back to like, even, I know a lot of people are complaining about changes they made to the last of us, but it's yeah. true to the source material yes. and they've had to change things 
to make it fit the show. And if it's like, okay, you paid attention and you understand the source material. That's exactly. why that's why you it's made okay. the change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fine. Yeah. So so I'm glad that you reading the book and watching this, you were happy with some oh, of the changes. Very happy. I was just like I remember watching it the first time because you hadn't read it. Yeah. But I was like, just trust me, like it's so good, blah, blah, blah. And I was a little, you know, worried because Stephen King adaptations have a tendency to be a little hit or miss. <laughs> but I was just, I couldn't have been more satisfied by what we got. Well, but it was the same thing that we talked about on Dr. Sleep as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Where it seems like Flanagan cares about the material so much that he's going to do it justice. Oh, yeah. But he understands what will not work. Exactly. That you need to change to make it work for the film. Mm-hmm. You clearly love what you're adapting. Yes. But you don't love it blindly to the point where it's like, no, but it was like this in the book. So it ha- like it's the discretion yeah. is so expertly used. Yeah. And I was just talking to Jules about uh, the Dark Tower and why these are the reasons why Flanagan. He's the only one I want on it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a dream come true. That's it. <laughs> um, I did want to talk about the beginnings of the production because it was kind of interesting to me. All right. Um, I listened to the commentary cast. Mike Flanagan came on as a guest and did a full commentary track. That is so cool. Like it was pretty fantastic because they're literally watching the film together and just talking about Mm -hmm. it. But he talked about the beginning stages of the project and it turns out he wrote the screenplay for Gerald's game right after Oculus. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the way that it works with Stephen King, interestingly is that he has a lot more pull than it seems that he does. (laughs) Stephen King? Yes, because if you say, hey, I want (laughs) to adapt this, and you give him the screenplay and he hates it, it's not moving forward. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So he uh, tried to... (laughs) I wonder when that started, because some of the adaptations... Yeah, (laughs) no shit. Steve, you said yes? There's been some speed bumps (laughs) along the way. Right, that was cocaine, Steve. Yeah, yeah. It's a new Steve. <laughs> Different we Steve. Don't talk, yeah. We don't talk about that. No, that time didn't exist. <laughs> um, but he gave him the chance with the rights. And so he goes and he shops it around and everybody tells him, this is unfilmable. I I get it. Really? Yeah. And it's so interesting to me because the way that he wrote it, it's clear that he has intention with everything and a way to make everything work. Yeah. But nobody was interested. And so the time lapsed. And so Mike Flanagan lost the rights to Gerald's game. Oh, man. What? Yeah. And so somebody else came in. They were going to make it. And the same exact thing happened to him. But during that time, Mike Flanagan makes Hush and Stephen King saw Hush and it reinvigorated his excitement for Flanagan taking on Gerald's game. <laughs> He's like, we're just supposed to be working on Gerald's yeah. yeah. game. <laughs> Where's that movie you yeah. said? What That's the fuck? <laughs> Nobody's, this isn't my story. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's funny because Mike Flanagan worked through his loss of that project with scenes in Hush where you have ideas that we see later in Gerald's game. The doubles, for example. Yeah. Oh, wow. That came about because he wasn't able to do it in Gerald's game and he thought he was never going to. Oh, okay. So that's very interesting to me. It is. But um, after seeing Hush, Stephen King was like, let's try to get that, you know. And so Flanagan goes at it again. People are still not interested. But because of Netflix and his relationship with them, they give him the chance. All right. And they trust him creatively. 
Thank you, Netflix. See, yeah. sometimes Netflix is a pain in the <laughs> ass. But every now and then you Netflix do something been, cool. <laughs> you, Netflix yeah, has been out of pocket. Yeah, was, 50, 50 <laughs> motherfuckers. Yeah. I swear to God. Wow. Oh, I like 60, or, Yeah. So, <laughs> I was not get crazy. I was too generous. I'm sorry. <laughs> But he had said that, um, I read in NME, uh, he had said that Stephen King, after watching the rough cut of Gerald's game, he did two things that kind of were fanboy moments for Mike Flanagan. First, he sent him an entire email about everything that he loved about the film. Yeah. And Flanagan printed it out and put it on his wall. Of course. <laughs> what else do you do with that? And the second thing that he did was he asked Mike Flanagan, what do you want to do next? Oh, wow. All right. I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Uh, well, we're starting off with very happy things because shit's about to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to stay that turn. <laughs> no. <laughs> now, before we cuff this film, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's bring it on home. Very quickly, before we get started, I did want to say this is interesting to revisit because I was invited on Chat Cemetery yes. by friend of the show, Deanna Chapman, a couple years ago at this point, a year and a half ago, maybe. Time is a flat circle. A time is a flat circle. I have no idea. But it was a very fun conversation. And y'all should check out Chat Cemetery if you haven't. Also, <laughs> less less happy than that, yes. I do want to give a little bit of a warning um, because I know a lot of people listen to the episodes and they haven't necessarily seen the film. So there's a lot of potentially triggering content in this, uh, a lot of that sexual in nature. So proceed with caution, protect your mental health. And if you, know, you don't want to be on this one, we'll catch you on the next one. Yes. Right? Yeah. So before the movie even properly begins, over the logo for Intrepid Pictures, Bring It On Home to Me by Sam Cooke plays Submersion. Yes. Mm -hmm. Audio Submersion. Yeah. yeah. That counts, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Does it count because it's Mike Flanagan or does it just count? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, it counts either way. Okay. We'll do it from now on. <laughs> <laughs> the film opens properly with Jesse Burlingame, played by Carla Guagino, laying out a slip on the bed. We watch as she gets out a suitcase, folds it up, and packs it away as the music continues. She places a sun hat on her head and leaves the room. Her husband, Gerald Burlingame, played by Bruce Greenwood, comes in and places his own overnight bag on the bed. We close in as he packs his clothes in neatly before placing two pairs of handcuffs on top. As he zips up his bag, we get the title over it, Gerald's Game. The timing of that title was pretty great. It was great, yeah. yeah. And uh, seeing the cuffs, I always love when films show you things that are going to become very important later. Mm -hmm. And that was there. There is nothing more important in this film than that pair of handcuffs. No, yeah. The song is great. It's oh. so beginning. good. Fantastic. It's and and those are. I mean. They're standard cuffs, but they're not kink regulation. There's no fuzzy on it. Yeah, it's that, not, yeah you're so, right. Did he rob a precinct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where did he get these? Those like, are like shackles. <laughs> like, I'd like to file a police report. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait here. He's like, oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> just the opportunity I needed. And then he fucking goes and gets them. I thought the same thing. I was like, what the fuck? Do you yeah. think they just leave like cuffs at the front desk and like a what, bowl for you or something? Take them? <laughs> There's a bowl of mints and a bowl of <laughs> <laughs> Let me go get those papers for you, sir. I'm going to leave my cuffs yeah, right, right here. here. With the key. Yeah. <laughs> it's courtesy. It's standard procedure, really. I will say that this song has become associated with this film for me. Yeah. From here on out. 
Um, I've seen a lot of different properties using it now. Like it was on Ozark like twice. I'm very glad because this is stuff I heard when I was a kid. My older brother used to listen to oldies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, this is great. And then hearing them like and then especially here, I was like, oh, this is perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect way to open the movie. And the words also kind of. No, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just very well picked. But the music continues as they travel down the road in their car. And instead of it being played over the film, they're listening to it through the car speakers, which I always think is cool. Uh huh. Like when it's like music for the film and then it's like, oh, they're listening to the re- Like I don't know. <laughs> I always love when they take out the headphones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh. But Jesse turns the radio off and Gerald asks if she wants to listen to something else instead. She says, no, she just wants to take in the scenery. Again, something that means nothing until it means something. Mm-hmm. I did want to call out the way that the camera is following behind the car. Mm -hmm. The Shining. Right. Yeah. Take a shot. (laughs) Gerald slides his hand up her thigh, pushing up her dress, but Jesse takes his hand off of her leg and kisses it. Gerald says that this will be good for them, but Jesse doesn't look so sure. The car continues down the small, lonely road, and inside, Jesse gnaws on her thumbnail as the radio reports the police investigating a break-in and burglary at a local cemetery. So that little bit on the radio, Mm -hmm. I did not notice until watching it this time. Right. Oh, yeah. It's very low on the radio. And if you're not watching with subtitles, you might not hear it at all. Yeah. But it's very important. And I love that it is that subdued because if it were louder or if if they were like, wait, what? You know what I mean? You're waiting for that other shoe to drop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this, everything that happens comes as a surprise. Yes. Yeah. Gerald, still behind the wheel, is looking down on his phone when Jesse alerts him to something in the road. He looks up and stops just in time before he hits a dog. It's in the middle of the road eating roadkill. Now, we get, like, in the novel, there are chapters, like, following this dog. He was, like, once really loved to take care of, and now he's a stray. Mm -hmm. And his name used to be Prince. And in this film, he's played by a dog named Roach. All right. (laughs) (laughs) It's no mushroom. No, it's not. Who is, right? You got to name a dog. (laughs) All right. I mean. Jesse is sympathetic, saying that the dog is starving, but Gerald honks his horn loudly, scaring the dog to the side of the road. He says that they really need to do something about the strays before continuing down the road. Jesse notes that the dog has a collar and that he might not be a stray. He might belong to someone. But Gerald only advises the dog to get out of the road before it becomes roadkill itself. So two things here. Number one, uh, he could have driven around the dog. It was fine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like the honking was was just. There's there's no one else on the road. (laughs) It's not a two, like anything. Two lane, nothing. Um, And the other thing is the shot of the dog in the rearview mirror. He's like shaking his paw or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) And don't come back. (laughs) You know. And don't come back. (laughs) (laughs) you know this isn't the last time we're seeing this dog (laughs) jesse watches out of the back window as the dog looks after the car becoming smaller and smaller gerald tells her that they're not going back for the dog and jesse says that she knows the two share a laugh as they pull up to their destination they get out of the car at their summer home and as gerald goes to get the bags out of the trunk he's interrupted by a work call He promises it'll only take two minutes, but Jesse assures him that it's okay. She puts on her hat and walks past the house into the backyard overlooking the lake. Serene music plays, shout out to the Newton brothers for a beautiful score. Of course. As she walks through the grass. She stands in front of the water and looks out at the view. 
One thing I will say about the score is that it is used so sparingly. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. And there are massive sections of the film where there is nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's just a very wise decision mm-hmm. yeah. because if you don't need it, don't use it. Yeah. And it makes it more powerful when it, you do use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do want to say that the property is lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Flanagan on commentary, he had said that they filmed this in Alabama and they filmed a lot of his other films in Alabama too. But this was like the last one before they started going to other locations. Mm-hmm. But um, he said that I think it was like a five minute drive away from the house from Hush from this location. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. That's so cool. Um, and the other thing I have to call it out because Bruce Greenwood was also on Mad Men. And uh, he said a line that I hated so much. <laughs> and I, I think, In Mad Men? Yeah, I think he's, he's a great, 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 great actor. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a line that he says to Joan when he's talking about her life and he's calling it, you know, he says, it's got a hell of a view. And he says it really funny to me. <laughs> and so whenever Jesse was looking out at the lake, I said, this place has <laughs> a hell of a view. And it's just a very esoteric thing that I had he to bring up. He made me so mad in that Oh, I hated him. Whatever, anyway. Garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Garbage behavior. <laughs> Inside, Jesse opens the fridge and is happy to see that Gerald had it stocked for them. With a smile, he says it's enough for the whole weekend. He leaves the room and the smile drops from Jesse's face as she sees a wrapped package of meat. She cuts it up. We cut to Jesse sitting on the walkway to the house with the steak on a plate, calling out to the dog that they passed. In the thick woods across the street, there is no movement. Gerald hears her from the bathroom attached to the main bedroom, but stops to pop a little blue pill. I, okay, just (laughs) seeing him do this, the presumption. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. And when you think about when you think about risk versus reward, like this, <laughs> you say like you have the, no if idea. You took it, dude. <laughs> if you took it, but like maybe she wants to go see a movie. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> She's like, you know what? I was thinking of an early dinner. Like, let's get to get those steaks on the. And he's like, uh <laughs> I made a huge mistake. Yes, but also fuck him as well. So I really don't. Yeah, I don't care how embarrassed he gets. <laughs> I just hope he consulted a doctor because that shit's dangerous. Just taking some shit like that. Well, he, it looked like a prescription. Uh, well, but that doesn't mean <laughs> like that. he took it out of an envelope. <laughs> <laughs> well, you a... can shit. You can buy prescription from people anytime. I mean, I, I mean, I guess that's true. <laughs> he seems connected. <laughs> <laughs> but he looks at himself in the mirror as he swallows it down with a sip of water. He takes another lingering look at himself before leaving. Outside, the dog whines as it steps cautiously out of the trees. Jesse gets up and they approach each other in the road. She sets down the plate for him, calling him her poor prince, which I really appreciated. And hesitantly, the dog leans down toward the plate. But it's spooked away when Gerald comes up and asks what she's doing. (laughs) It's like, oh, you're still with that asshole? (laughs) You're the guy driving the car. (laughs) Um, I, I will say that shows uh, Jesse's kind nature. Mm-hmm. That dog had enough possum to get him through the night. I <laughs> I don't know enough about a, a whole steak. Do you see the marbling on that? Steak? Yeah, that it looked expensive. <laughs> Although I think I, I would have fed the dog. Well, yeah, but but I had I decided to make a joke as well. <laughs> she says she was just trying to feed the dog, but Gerald admonishes her. That was Kobe ribeye from Kobe, two hundred dollars a portion. Which I is can. wild. To me. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine spending that much on a like a piece of meat. 
I can't imagine spending that much on anything. <laughs> 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 I do have to say, and I don't know why, but um, Gerald, for whatever reason, pronounced it like Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Yeah, I did notice that. But then later in the film, thankfully, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> forgot her name for a second. It says it correctly. But I was wondering if that was a way of like showing Gerald's kind of uh, superficial. Could be like you don't even respect where yeah. you're from. Like he only bought it because it's $200 a portion. Not I, because. I can right, see that right. honestly from Him? what we know of Gerald. But she apologizes saying that there were four in the fridge. But Gerald just chuckles saying that she has a good heart and that's why he married her. She starts to pick up the plate, but he stops her. He says to leave it. Well, I mean, you did have it in the road. I'm not eating it after. No. That. He's like, <laughs> the dog did inspect it. If not, eat a little bit. So Gerald's like, that counts against one of your steaks. <laughs> <laughs> I have two. No. <laughs> just, for, just for future. <laughs> He's just that kind of asshole. <laughs> Instead of them both having one and a half sticks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was your decision. Mm -hmm. But he says it'll be the best meal the dogs ever had. Jesse laughs as she would have only had half a piece anyway as they head inside. With them gone, the dog pokes his head out of the trees again. Jesse lets Gerald lead her inside, laughing as she apologizes again. He asks if she wants to open the champagne now, and she looks back at the open front door, seeming to consider closing it, but she lets Gerald lead her away. Serene music mounts as they walk into the house, passing a framed photo of them on their wedding day. So I did want to point out that the entrance of the home is on location, but they matched it so well because the bedroom that we're about to see is a set. Oh, all right. Wow. Yeah, it was built, I think they said, in a convention center in Mobile, Alabama. <laughs> all right. Never would have guessed. No, no, not at all. In the next scene, Jesse is in the bedroom wearing the slip. She climbs up onto the bed, but when she realizes the large tag is still attached to the back, she rips it off and places it on the shelf above the bed. She seems anxious, finally settling on a seductive pose and telling Gerald that she's ready. He steps out of the bathroom wearing nothing but his underwear, the cuffs jingling in his hands. Jesse laughs nervously and Gerald tells her that she looks amazing. Still looking a bit uncomfortable, she thanks him and holds out a wrist. She sits up on the bed and Gerald kisses her. She awkwardly warns him of her lip gloss, but the kissing intensifies. Gerald pushes her back onto the bed and climbs on top of her, ratcheting the cuffs. She laughs, saying that she was expecting a furry novelty pair, like you said. Wow. But Gerald laughs this off, assuring her that these are the real deal because the others can break if you get going too hard. Well, the thing, the thing is, you're not also, I mean... You don't want to be stuck in You're there. You're stressed out. You don't <laughs> yeah, no. want to be stuck in there. That's A. I think B, Jesse seems very uncomfortable well, and nervous. Yeah, this seems like a first time thing. Yeah, and so I feel like maybe we set the mood first instead of just being like, all right, and these aren't going to fucking break. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like that's I, scary. I bought these off of Harry Houdini. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're going you, from zero to 100 yeah, right now. If you've never done this before, this isn't your type of thing. That's not Maybe the way a to, little bit. to yeah, introduce Yeah, not it. right away. And she's like clearly uncomfortable. Yes. I think that's like the worst part because this whole section is, and it only grows increasingly uncomfortable. Oh yeah, it only gets worse. But the thing for me is that she is seemingly already trepidatious. Yes. Open to what he's interested in, but he doesn't give a fuck at all. No, she's trying to yeah. meet him halfway, but he's yeah. not moving. Like he's all the way up front his side. He's, you know, and we should have known when he honked at the dog that he's a fucking Yeah. 
piece of shit. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> scumbag piece yeah. of shit? Oh. I, I, I would have honked at the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have went around, but I'd have been like, hey, get out of the road. Nay, we got to talk about JP. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried well, to tell you, you guys. You would have <laughs> been worried the dog was going to get hit. Well, yeah. You would have been like, well, hey, man, yeah. don't yeah. be eating in the road or no, whatever. No, just like, don't, don't pull it to the side, man. Gerald, that don't yeah. be mad. Yeah, well, just don't be kind to animals. That's the bottom line. Yeah, feed them $200 steaks. But he promises her that she'll like this as he cuffs one of Jesse's hands to the bedpost. She watches him with a small, nervous smile as he does the same to the other hand to the opposite post. He asks if it's okay, and she says yes. He asks her to try to move, and she does, unable to do more than rattle the cuffs against the posts. I think now's a good time to point out that the headboard is from the Lasser glass from Oculus. Isn't that fucking cool? It is. I... And the thing is, is that it's one of those things that you have to be like, you got to be a fan again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because there's like, it's it's clearly it. Right. Once you know. Right. Yeah. Because you're not that's looking at a cool headboard. Yeah. yeah, that's really cool. He tells her that he loves the slip she's wearing and she says that she bought it special. But then he slides off the bed and yanks her down, saying he'll like it better around her shoulders, which like there's no, he's just not receptive to anything no. that she's but in all fairness, this started in the car. And I'm not not the dog. No. Not the honking yeah. dog. <laughs> We're if past we that. Just, <laughs> we can just go back to the moment. <laughs> when he honked at that poor defenseless animal. No, um, whenever they're driving and they're just listening to music and he's already trying to put his hand. Yeah. You right. know, and she has to come come on, man. Yeah. yeah. So it's like that's the only thing that's been on his mind. Yeah. That and the stakes. <laughs> the value well, of mistakes. I, I real quick though, I, I'm I I do want to say that just because he obviously only thinks about that, that doesn't make him a piece of shit. He's a piece of shit for other reasons. Well, right, right. yeah, but There's if key- she, if I understand what you're saying about her pushing his hand away, because that's a big already, like you said, a sign, but. I to mean, ease into things yeah, and not yeah. just be. He's fucking got boundary issues. That's what yeah. this problem is. I think. I think they say they've been together for 11 years at this point yeah. and he's still, it's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You would know your you partner. Should know, yeah. yeah. You should know when your partner's uncomfortable, what makes them uncomfortable, what soothes them, what, and if you know that that's not something, don't do that. You know what I mean? But I, that's why I'm saying he just doesn't seem to care. Oh no. no yeah. Not he's at all. A, yeah. He's a fucking, it's all about yeah, what he wants. It's just uh, yeah. garbage. But Gerald goes back to the bathroom with a big smile and gets himself a small glass of water. Jesse looks over at him and notices the Viagra bottle on the counter. Gerald looks at her with a smile before slipping back into a sinister character, if it's a character. He muses, well, look what I found. And he says that he bets Jesse wants him to leave. The smile drops from her face at this turn that was obviously not agreed on. Gerald sets the cup of water on the shelf above the bed before pulling the pillows out from underneath Jesse. He says that her husband will probably be home any minute and that she can scream if she wants to, but there's no one around for miles. Jesse calls his name cautiously, but he doesn't respond to it, playfully saying that she doesn't get to know his name. She continues to try to play along, but he tells her to call out for help. She does so half-heartedly, chuckling awkwardly, but he urges her to do it for real. She's like, what are we trying to do here? She admits that this is making her feel weird when the point was to make her feel sexy. But Gerald kisses her and urges her to call for help again, so she does. 
He continues kissing her chest, but when he bites her, she says that it really hurt. So obviously, not only is it adding to the discomfort of watching the scene, yes, but it also accomplishes something for the audience to know how isolated they are. Yeah. That and the front so, door's open. Yes. And you're calling for help and nobody, nobody's yeah. around to hear you. But in response to her telling him that that hurt, he covers her mouth. And this is the line for Jesse. She says that she doesn't like this and she tells him to stop. This spurs him on, him commending her for making this feel real. But this is real. She tells him again and again to stop. But when he tells her that daddy gets what daddy wants, she's had it. She yells at him to stop and uncuff her now. And this finally gets through to him. Yeah, I don't understand. She was saying pineapple over and over and he's just yeah, not. No, he's and, not understanding in the in the novel. It kind of goes a little bit further to the point where like from Jesse's point of view, she's like, oh, he knows I'm being serious and he's pretending like he doesn't Yeah, now that no. and it's like, ugh, it's just awful. So Gerald laughs, asking if she's playing, but she tells him to wipe that stupid grin off his face, uncuff her and stop calling himself daddy. He reminds her that this is why they came up here to spice things up and push boundaries. But Jesse says that she did say she would try a few things. She did. And it's not working. Indicating her cuffs, she asks if this is really what it takes these days. He sarcastically apologizes for trying to make things more exciting. But Jesse reminds him that he hasn't shown any interest or touched her in months. Until she told him she'd let him play a sex game, and now it's taken a very dark turn toward a fantasy she didn't know he had. She asked him again, calmly this time, to just take the cuffs off because this was never going to save them. That was, like, sad. Very. Well, god damn, dude. Yeah. We talk a lot about the importance of communication. Yeah. Yeah. This is really giving, but I wanted it right now. And you're not, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, bad. you're not yeah. even fucking like hearing what she's saying. No. And that's the thing is that half of communication is fucking listening. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. she gave you every indication. Yeah. And try a few things isn't, I'm going to fucking tie you to the bed or cuff you to the bed and not let you go. That's not a when few, you tell me to may, maybe like, oh, here's a feather or, or, you know, tickle my feet with something. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just you know, I'm trying to be tame. But, you know what I mean? uh, uh, but that, you know, that's OK. Maybe if this is not your thing, you're jumping head first and some, yeah, some shit. Zero to 100. She did not fucking agree to no. at all. And it's clearly not her thing. No. Yeah. And if this is about saving the relationship, aren't we supposed to both be comfortable? Yes. Aren't we supposed it, to no, do yeah. things that both of us will enjoy? Exactly. You know, and he looks at her for a moment and she admits that she feels ridiculous he goes oh so now i'm ridiculous this made me like that fucking that (laughs) pissed me off a lot yeah (laughs) he says that she can't blame him for not getting excited anymore when she doesn't even try she tells him again to uncuff her so that they can talk but he asks her what if i won't she stares at him in disbelief saying that he has to he crawls on top of her saying again what if i'm sweet She calmly instructs him to go to the bathroom and get the keys off the counter. But Gerald will not listen. And when he leans in, she bites his lip. He asks her what the fuck is the matter with her. And after a moment of consideration, he asks how they went so wrong. Jesse doesn't have an answer for this. And Gerald grabs at his chest and flexes his left arm. Something clearly bothering him, but he's like not... Registering. Yeah. I did appreciate when her response to him saying what the fuck is wrong with you she goes with me for real because yeah. i'm like are like 
Are we watching the same? Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one person is very clearly in the There's wrong. There's a very skewed yeah. reality happening here. But he says that they used to be happy once. And she agrees. He asks her again, weren't we? And something is clearly very wrong. His breath becomes shaky and he's unable to respond to her when she calls his name alarmed. She gets more and more frantic as Gerald begins to shake and grunt. And finally, he collapses on top of her. Jessie panics with her arms still spread wide and cuffed to the post. All she can do is cry and kick at Gerald. She manages to prop him up with her foot. She holds him there and Gerald's eyes are open, but he's completely unresponsive and slumped onto her foot. She begs him to wake up, but his dead weight only propels him backward off of her. He lands softly on the foot of the bed before rolling over and hitting the floor with a very concerning thud. I will say, um, Two two things because <laughs> I hate to laugh <laughs> um, because the the heart attack was so convincingly done. Yeah, um, there was only one moment that was a little humorous to oh, me no. because he literally puts his finger up like once, <laughs> and I'm like, there's such odd composure for someone who is clearly having a heart attack. But um, outside of that, no brilliant brilliant performance. Um, I did want to talk about Bruce Greenwood. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because um, this dude was actually recommended to Mike Flanagan by Stephen King. Oh, oh sure. wow. Because apparently I also learned that Stephen King, he doesn't have final say, but he does have input when it comes to casting sometimes. God, oh, nice. He has more. I think after Kubrick, he's like, look, <laughs> you got to oh, go through me. <laughs> right. Because he didn't like the shining. Oh, huh? and I, I, I disagree. But yeah, yeah, he hated it like a lot. <laughs> He still talks about it. <laughs> Damn. That was like 40 years ago. Dude. <laughs> but um, Bruce Greenwood, he, whenever he got the part, he saw in the screenplay that he was going to be in his underwear a lot. And you told me, Nay, that Gerald in the novel is completely different. Yeah. Uh, physically. Yeah. Um, so he said, well... <laughs> If he's going to be in his underwear a lot, then Gerald's in great shape. I mean, <laughs> and <laughs> Mike Flanagan's like, all right. <laughs> so Bruce Greenwood spent eight weeks dieting and training. And then not only that, because he's, he's like clearly flexing when, yes. yeah. <laughs> when he's on screen, but he would between takes, he would do crunches. Oh, <laughs> Of course. And so you know what? I don't I don't blame him, not yeah. even a little bit. After he was done with the crunches, he would like just lay out on the floor and hang out. But <laughs> the thing is, is that for a lot of the film, what we see of Gerald is a dummy. Oh, right. And so Flanagan would come up and he'd be like, All right, look, Bruce. And he would tell him all the stuff that he had uh, his ideas for the scene, and then like five minutes into the conversation, he's like, That's the dummy. <laughs> I've been talking to the dummy for ten minutes. <laughs> It's like, are you like mad at me, dude? Like, what the fuck? So no input. Right, you don't like the me? idea. Yeah, you can just say you don't like it. That's fine. We'll move on. We'll do something. Well, else. he dies there, and that's it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where else is he supposed to go? But I, I <laughs> that's fucking funny. I will say that the how convincing that dummy is. I can't tell when very it's, much. Yeah. yeah. When it's not Bruce Greenwood, so I get it. <laughs> Jesse lifts herself the best she can, raising to a sitting position. But even with this view, all she can see is Gerald's motionless hand splayed onto the floor and the very top of his head. She calls out to him, begging him to say something, but Gerald remains silent. She screams, shaking the cuffs and trying to lift them off the posts, but it's no use. She tries to compose herself and focus on Gerald again, sternly demanding that he wake up. 
This does not work. That would suck so fucking bad. I can't imagine even, the, the panic. Even if this was all good and it wasn't a bad situation. Yeah. That would fucking be terrible. I think it's the desperation and yeah. the realization. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like right now to her, there's still a chance we're getting out of this soon. Yeah. But there is a moment that is played so oh quietly. My no, God. Yeah. And that the second that happens, I'm like, oh, my God. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, nope. This is this yeah. is just what it is. She screams for help before giving a weak chuckle and asking Gerald if that sounds more real. She tries to bargain with him, telling him that he can do whatever he wants if he'll just get back up on the bed. As she begins to cry, she looks down at the very top of Gerald's head and watches as a pool of blood begins to form underneath him. That is when I was like, oh, we're fucked. Yeah. So that's what this movie is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say that the camera pressing in on Jesse after that, just great. Yeah. yeah. As it slowly becomes larger on the floor, Jesse is stricken silent. Then in pure desperation, she calls for help again. From outside the house, we can hear her. But as we get further away down the road, her cries become drowned out. There's something so like knowing what's going on in that house and the serenity of the exterior. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's a very weird feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You're just alone. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a, and, and I remember my mom had a canopy bed that had the posts on it. Uh -huh. And my, my older brother, I think broke one of the, <laughs> one of the posts. So I was like, why isn't she trying to yank yes. on, you know Trust what I mean? Yank, me, yeah. it's easy. <laughs> I, well, this one looks pretty sturdy. Yeah. Hers, it was like little screw on ones. And oh. then it, I mean, it was nice, but I mean, my brother's also a lot bigger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a throwaway line later that I'm like, yeah, that barely explains yeah. it. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. Like, all right, all right, I guess. <laughs> but time passes this way and we see dusk begin to creep in. Breeze moves the curtains next to the open windows and we see everything Jessie needs as she cries out weakly, her voice barely above a whisper. We see the car keys set on the dresser, her phone on the nightstand. Gerald, useless and lying in a puddle of blood on the floor. We see Jesse, defeated, still on the bed, quietly calling for help. I loved that time-lapse match cut. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very easy to impress. Like, that stuff <laughs> is so cool to me. Um, oh, and then later we have red lights, too. Yeah, yeah. that's all. Yeah. <laughs> so this film will get a high score. <laughs> <laughs> She whispers at Gerald to wake up before chuckling and cheerily telling him, it's time to wake up, honey. She freezes when she hears a branch snap outside the open windows. There's the sound of footsteps in grass and Jesse calls out, hello. The sounds continue, but no one answers her. She just stares at the windows, heartbroken, before weakly calling out again. She muses that in an hour or so, it will be so dark. She's interrupted again by the sound of the gate banging open loudly. She calls out, saying that they're back here and that Gerald is hurt. She asks if it's their neighbors, Nate and Kelly. But again, no one answers her. She looks very hopeful until worry begins to creep into her face. A shadow appears in the doorway, but instead of someone to save her, the dog steps into the room. Now, did anyone else hear dog noises before we saw the dog? <laughs> like, I knew the dog before he came to class. <laughs> Maybe that's what Nate sounds like. We don't know it's these like, people. like, oh, great, Nate's here. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but the dog doesn't need to treat the gate like that then. No, yeah. it was rude. 
<laughs> like, what bill are you paying to be slamming shit around like that? She bitterly tells the dog hi and asks how the steak was, advising him that it was $200 a portion. She asks if he's a rescue dog, but the blank stare he gives her is answer enough. The dog whines as it steps towards Gerald, clearly intrigued. Jesse snaps at him, telling him to back away, but the dog's hunger wins over his fear and he begins to sniff Gerald's arm. Jesse yells at the dog, kicking and stomping her feet on the bed, and he is scared away for a moment, but he comes <laughs> he comes right back to Gerald. It's like, well, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right, what was I doing? <laughs> Jesse's protests mean nothing, and he begins to take a bite out of crime, and by crime, I mean Gerald's arm. So dog bites man, huh? <laughs> That'll be in the paper tomorrow. <laughs> Jesse is desperate now, trying again in futility to take the cuffs off the posts. She finally reaches up to the shelf above the bed and finds a book. Midnight fucking mass. Amazing. Yeah, I I, I didn't pay attention the first time, but I, you know what I mean? Again, it wasn't something that was out. Yeah. Uh, and then I told your sister, I go, I did notice the midnight mass book this time when I watched it. That's so cool. It's so cool because um, all it meant was, oh, that's Maddie's book. Yeah. yeah. At the time, that's At it. the time, yeah. yeah. Uh, they talked on the commentary that Mike Flanagan was in the process of getting Midnight Mass going. Right. Uh, at this point, I think in 2021 when he was talking about it. So seeing that book. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And he knows. It's just I the Mike Flanagan universe. I was, yeah. you know, you're really expecting it to be a Stephen King novel, you know? Yeah. So I, that's just that's really cool but again if it see and that's the thing to me is like <laughs> there's some references made later i'm like if this is a stephen king novel and you're referencing stephen king novels you're gonna open a hole in the <laughs> time space continuum <laughs> we're all fucked. we're all gonna that's fall how through. you get out you get sucked through oh, all right <laughs> she grabs the book and flings it as best she can yelling at the dog to get the fuck away the dog does, retreating to the doorway, but he's already gotten his prize, a mouthful of Gerald's arm meat. <laughs> now, there's no other way to describe it. I, yeah. like <laughs> I know we don't see a lot of this, but that looked good. It did. Yes, it like, did. Like, it looked good. I was like, oh, man, he's really biting this motherfucker. I will say that the guy who was the head of the special effects or makeup effects, I should say. Yeah. Robert Kurtzman. Hell right, yeah. Right. So, it, I mean, it's Robert Kurtzman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they said that um, for a lot of it, the dog was the dog. But there are moments where the dog is a puppet operated by Mike Flanagan. All right. <laughs> and <laughs> I can't tell. No, uh, not I, at all. I never I, clocked that one time. No. Hell no. You're so focused on the action, you don't think that there was a moment in Suspiria where you're like, somebody's wearing a dog glove. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what if we go back and it's just a Muppet? <laughs> How do we never notice just, that? It's Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. You learn things every time yeah. you watch this movie. God damn. Is there a cigar? <laughs> <laughs> the dog looks back at her with the flesh hanging from his mouth and jesse gags which i feel like is the i mean the only yeah. uh reasonable reaction she wails and begs the dog no as he digs in she curls into herself crying but is frozen when gerald's hand plops down on the bed gerald stands up horrified over the chunk taken out of his arm Jesse can only stammer out apologies. He puts together that it was the dog, the dog that she fed. 
She tells him that she's sorry and that he was right and that she was so wrong. She begs him to uncuff her and just hold her. But Gerald is hung up on the goddamn dog. Jesse's face is filled with relief as she looks over in the direction that Gerald is indicating toward the dog. But her face falls when she sees that still on the floor, still barely in view, are Gerald's splayed out hands framing the pool of blood on the floor. I... You would hope it would take more than a few hours to be hallucinating like this. You would hope. But the mind, she has seen and experienced too much. Yeah. yeah. I think that this is only a natural reaction. Like, yeah. that, seeing the dog do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's got to break something. The dead body's enough. Yeah. But now, fucking nature's getting involved. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not nature. But this is the point where I was like, oh, because in the novel, every conversation that she has is in her own head, which I guess is still accurate here. But it's all versions of herself. Hmm. Like there's Punkin, which she calls her younger self. There's like this Puritan version of herself. There's um, like a friend she had, I think, in college that she like she's carrying a secret from her childhood and this friend almost gets it out of her and so she stopped being friends with her after that mm. so these are all voices that are in her head that are talking to each other and talking to her and like the kind of puritan i think she calls her goody um is kind of i think what the one that kind of becomes gerald the most because she's the you, you're not going to get out of this like you're you're just going to hurt yourself if you try that well if you try that that's stupid but i mean and Gerald kind of takes the reins, you know what I mean, in that regard. But when he stood up, I was like, oh, so this is how we're representing like the outside voice. I think it's a smart choice because not only when you have an actor as good as Bruce Greenwood, yeah. use him. Yeah. But also we already don't like Gerald. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so let's put all this negative shit in his For mouth. sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, to see her saying negative shit to herself would be kind of counterproductive right right well and like oh, everything that we go through with her it's like that's an, like we don't need that too no yeah i feel like too honestly if they tried to make a bunch of different versions of her it would it would look really weird or uh -huh. it would get muddy it would just look i don't know trying to fit a bunch of her in the room yeah, yeah. it's like no nah, that's okay <laughs> I, I, I could i could just easily see it being confusing or like being too much yeah i've never seen orphan black but that's what i thought <laughs> 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 but that was the one aspect when i heard that they that this was going to be a movie that i was like i wonder how they're going to do that yeah and doing it this way i'm like that's fucking genius mike flanagan on commentary said that he was afraid to show that to stephen king because it was such a big change i bet i mean it's probably the biggest change I, it works though it does oh yeah i i honestly if i had a choice because i've never read the book i would prefer this me yeah. too because for me I would think that that would be the same. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, if I'm your sister would be there to talk me back or like my, you know what I mean? In my head, your sister's there. The one be like, no, it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? We can well, get through I'm this. Whatever. Yeah, what oh, no, that, that would You're be stuck me. Forever. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> but she looks up at the Gerald standing in front of her who continues to scold her telling her that the dog smelled blood and did what dogs do. Gerald runs toward the dog, hopping over his own body to kick at him, telling him that he hopes he chokes. He bitterly tells Jesse that he should have just let her cut up the whole steak because then maybe the dog would have been full. 
Then again, he says, they always smell the fresher meat. The interesting thing about, obviously that line's terrible because of what yeah. it portends. But um, it reminds me of like a dream where everyone you meet in a dream is you. Mm-hmm. These are all thoughts that she's yeah. having. Right, right. It's coming through the mouth of her dead husband. Yeah. And that, that adds a layer to it that is also... Yeah. It's haunting, honestly. Yeah. And is that even how dogs work? I thought <laughs> I thought sharks were like, if they smell blood, they're going to be like, oh, I want to eat. I thought dogs were like, oh, shit, let me help people. Or let me go, eh, eh, please, come, come over here, guys. Somebody's like, what, Lassie? What I, think, I was going to say, I think yeah. it's just Lassie. <laughs> the Lassie's the only... Is that how work. dogs work? <laughs> like they're an iPhone. <laughs> Well, no, but like, I don't think... That's not how I programmed my dog. (laughs) Yeah, no. I don't... I've had dogs before growing up, and I don't think any of them, when I hurt myself, ran in the house and were like, who's cut? Who's bleeding? (laughs) (laughs) I've never had a dog. I do know that animals eat corpses. They do. Cats do, too. Yeah, they'll eat your eyes and shit. Yeah. Yeah, Which, honestly, I love cats enough. You can have my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. That's a small price to pay. They're going to close my eyes in the casket anyway. That's... (laughs) That's fine. Pop. Just put the coins over my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Pop a few grapes in there. <laughs> no one will no know the difference. Will ever know. <laughs> he comes back over to the bed, asking if she remembers the joke that she heard him tell. He says he was four or five drinks into the night when she came up behind him. He was telling a joke to a client in that low guys only tone. And he reminds her that she didn't hear the beginning of the joke, only the end. And what is a woman anyway? He says that he did his little pause he does when he's proud of a joke and then calls on Jesse to give the punchline. She stares back at him before starting to tell it quietly, but it's not good enough for him, so he sets her up again. And what is a woman anyway? Jesse recites the punchline harshly, a life support system for a cunt. He's like, that's it. He says that she never even told him that she heard him say that. She never said a word and she smiled through the whole night, even though she hated him a little bit, but she never brought it up. Jesse says that she didn't because that's not who he is and he doesn't talk that way. Gerald asks if that's really what it was, if he was really just putting on a show for a client and stooping to his level, or if that's really who Gerald was underneath it all. Jesse has nothing to say to this, and he advises her to never ask a question that you don't want to know the answer to. She chuckles and agrees, and he repeats the punchline at Jesse, adding the word stupid. So he's not a good husband. He's not much of a comedian. (laughs) (laughs) There's no redeeming. Yeah, he's... He's mean to dogs. (laughs) (laughs) He honks the dogs. He honks the dogs. (laughs) (laughs) This fucking guy, I just can't. I can't believe it. I will say that um, one thing I have to mention is obviously Carla Gugino is amazing in this movie. Oh my God. Bruce Greenwood does not get the credit he deserves because there are some monologues that he has in this film that chill me to the bone. Yeah. And it's all down to how he performs them. Yeah. Right. And lines like this, I think Flanagan had said that the majority of the things that Gerald says are quote word for word from the book. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good, though, when you can fit that in there and make it feel natural. Because it does. Yeah. He asks how long she's been chained to the bed and she never heard him breathe. He says that she's been listening to him breathe for the last 11 years. That special Gerald only purr he gets in the back of his throat. She's been chained to that bed for hours and never heard it once. He says that she knew five minutes after his head hit the floor and saw the blood that he was dead, but she just laid there wasting precious time calling his name. 
A confused look on her face, Jesse asks what's happening. Gerald looks right into Jesse's face, right at us, with a smile and says that he's pretty sure she just lost her mind. Now Jesse stares straight at us, unable to do anything but chuckle. Gerald gives her an out, saying that listening to a dog eat your husband is a great excuse to have a mental breakdown. Jesse agrees, still chuckling. This all feels very king. It yeah. Very much. Like yeah. it just, it's great. She admits to him that the blood stopped spreading a while ago. He says that she did what she always does. She ran into her mind. He says that she called him again and again, letting time tick by. He says that maybe she's remembering that joke right now because she should be thinking about life support. He asks why she's thinking about it, and she tells him, time. He says she's right. She's a life support system, and she's been unplugged. She's still got juice, but the charge is running down, and it will drain to zero if she doesn't get out of the cuffs. I thought she was remembering the joke to make herself feel better about Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Being dead? (laughs) Being dinner? Yes. He's He's an asshole. But I mean, time is of the essence. Yes. You should have been trying to get the fuck out of here. Like, I know we're in shock and we're like, what the fuck? But, oh, you're not getting up. I got to get out of here. I, yeah. like, I, you know, I putting myself in the situation, I really don't know what I would do. No. I would probably be talking to a version of <laughs> <laughs> as, as a dog ate my wife, I guess. <laughs> After five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> He asks her when they got here and she looks over at the phone on her nightstand so close but still out of reach. She guesses around one o'clock. He asks how long until they got into bed and she says maybe an hour. He says that's two o'clock. How long until he had the heart attack? Maybe 10 minutes after. When has the sun been setting? 7.15 or so. Suddenly Gerald is standing at the window looking out at the sky that is getting steadily darker. He says that's another 15 or 20 minutes tops. He estimates that it's been about five hours. He's next to her by the bed now, saying that she's wasted five hours screaming for neighbors who are half a mile away, and she finishes with him if they're even here yet. He's pacing the floor again, and they finish each other's sentences as she remembers that Nate and Kelly said they won't be coming out until June this year. The bed is made and the house is dusted, which means the maids already came and went yesterday. The grass was freshly cut, meaning no gardeners are coming either. This back and forth between the two of them is just... Oh, yeah. It is chef's kiss. He says because he arranged all of that to get the place ready for them to come today, and he didn't want anyone interrupting their little game. So he assumes they gave them at least the weekend off. They ask, so who could possibly hear her scream? Gerald chimes in, besides Cujo over there. Hmm? Obvious reference to Cujo. We see Jesse on the bed, and she is alone in the room again, alone besides the dog who continues chewing on Gerald's arm. She looks over at her hand and tries to squeeze it out of the cuff, but it's no use. Suddenly, Gerald is next to her again, reminding her that she already tried that. He says that she can pull until her wrists break, but she is not getting out of those cuffs. Jessie yells as she tries to pull her hand out of the cuff. Gerald is gone now, and somehow, Jessie succeeds. Her hand slips free, and she laughs in relief, telling Gerald that she told him. She jumps to her feet and is able to break the second post and easily pull the cuff off. She walks over to the door and sighs, smiling. She looks back at the bed and says that it's just that easy. When I saw that, I was like, what a strange short film. <laughs> yeah. Hold the fort. 
But when we look back at the bed, Jesse is still cuffed to both posts and Gerald stands next to her. He tells her that she's really losing it now. Her hand is not going to fit through the cuff, and he tells both Jessies that the bed posts are reinforced. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I was like, what are we doing yeah. here? <laughs> but honestly, I bet if she got enough leverage and grabbed them from the top and pulled in, uh-huh. one of them is going to no, break. No, they're reinforced. With what? That's steel? <laughs> yeah, no shit. Like what? And why they're would adamant you? It, it was oh, no. built <laughs> out of a tree. Is yes, it, it, it's what? Wolverine's fucking leg yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Like, what are we doing here? (laughs) He tells her it was a nice thought, though. The free Jesse tells Gerald to shut up. She reminds Jesse that Gerald is the reason that they're here to begin with. But Gerald says that he's just trying to tell Jesse how things really are. Free Jesse says that he's doing what he always did, minimizing her and being condescending. She says that men aren't really blessed with penises. They're cursed by them. Gerald laughs at this, but when Free Jesse continues that they might die today because of Gerald's five inches, he's not laughing anymore. He looks away like he didn't have to. Yeah, well, like, was, I mean, not wrong. That was rude. <laughs> <laughs> she tells Jesse that their life has to add up to more than that. Jesse says that she can't get out, but Free Jesse asks about the mothers that are able to lift cars off of their kids. Gerald snidely remarks that Jesse is no mother, and both Jessies look at him. Jesse asks what that is supposed to mean. Gerald comes back over to her and says that she has no maternal instinct. She says that his career came first, but Gerald says that's just an excuse that she used. Maybe she even started to believe it, but he says that she can't hide anything from him now. So I just want to say very quickly, I thought Carlo Gugino was putting on a clinic before. Mm-hmm. Literally. And now she's fucking playing two characters, which is just incredible. She's amazing. Um... They had talked on commentary, and this shocked the hell out of me, but she was not the first actress attached to this film, and Mike Flanagan actually had cast someone, and they were about three weeks out from filming, and he wouldn't say who it was. I'm so curious. I'm sorry, I can't solve that mystery, (laughs) but he had said that he called her, and he was like, look, you know, we've got a lot of scenes where we're going to have doubles going on. So I wanted to know if you use somebody in other films as a double that you could have work opposite you. Yeah. And she goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, "My the script, <laughs> Gerald's game. <Yeah. laughs> it's kind of a huge it's, part uh, of it. It's a big deal. Have you not been rehearsing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he comes to find out that that actress was sent the wrong script. Oh. She was sent the one that the other person was trying to get made. Oh, no. Between Flanagan's attempts. Yeah. And so that version apparently had a much more comical tone and there was a lot How? more I do not know. What? But there were a lot more people involved and it was not this like small cast, small character situation. It was a much bigger film. And so they talked about it over a weekend. He's like, Well, I'll, you know, if you want to look into it, read mine and we can get back on the phone at another time. We're like two weeks out from production. Yeah. And so when they eventually get back on the phone together, she tells him that she doesn't want to do the part anymore. Well, if she thought it was well, yeah. some like, yeah. slapsticky version of Gerald's game, <laughs> yeah, I don't then know. yeah, maybe this isn't your bad. No. Yeah. I would love to know who it was, Yeah, but this is how they eventually get in contact with Carla Gugino, who was on his shortlist for this part, but it eventually comes to her, and within two weeks, she has to do all of this. Yeah. yeah. Learn everything. Like She is that just an incredible actress. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they had said that... 
the most difficult part about it was that the entire bedroom set had already been built and it was built to the dimensions of the other actress mm. <laughs> because it has to make sense yeah. logistically. And so they had to kind of tear down a few things and rebuild them because now it's Carla Gugino. Yeah. But just the fact that she was able to come in and to just, have to step in. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Cause this is her role. Oh yeah. yeah. And I got to say, you know, you had said the thing about a ton of different Jesse's walking around and everything. Yeah. I feel like this to me speaks to like that angel devil dynamic for sure oh, yeah and it just works it works way better to just have two mm -hmm. instead of however many it was supposed to be yeah sorry Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean something that works well for a book doesn't necessarily work well visually yeah so i mean you know right but that goes back to talking about how much he respects the material yeah to find a way to still make it yep. work and kind of stay with the source material. Yes. So I, I like I said, I've never read it, and I, I enjoyed this yeah. a lot. I have, and I do too. <laughs> <laughs> but Free Jesse interrupts that they don't have time for this. Jesse only asserts with frustration that she is chained to the bed and she can't get out. Free Jesse tells her not to just recite facts, but to wake up. I am calling her Free Jesse to cut down on confusion. <laughs> Are we on the subtitles? They called her Jesse too. Yeah, I didn't yeah. like that. Electric Boogaloo or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're fine. But she says that this is her all over. Problem, panic, denial. She says that she hopes if she looks away from something, it'll just vanish. But if she doesn't wake up now, she's going to die in those handcuffs. She reminds Jesse that they both know she's been sleepwalking since she was 12 years old. Jesse snaps at her, not now. This gets Gerald's attention, and Free Jesse asks, if not now, when? Gerald asks, not now, what? Jesse doesn't say a word, but Free Jesse says that he put her in those handcuffs long before Gerald ever did. Gerald comes over to Jesse and asks, who's he? Jessie refuses to answer. She closes her eyes and takes a deep breath, and then she's alone in the room again. She watches the sunlight on the bedroom door, but it slowly fades as night fully settles in. I, I don't I feel like having them there was it's got to be a little comforting to have some kind of. Yeah. Because so it's like you, great, great chat. Guys. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for fucking disappearing. When you see her alone, it's like, oh, oh no. My God. But like, nobody's come back, come back. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why it's it's a weird false sense of security because she's always been alone. Exactly. Yeah. But when they left, I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> don't do this. Jesse shifts her attention to the phone. She reaches out with her foot trying to grab it, but Gerald is back. He tells her that the phone's going to die anyway because he never charged it. Free Jesse sidles up next to him, commenting that he never did a load of laundry either. Jesse goes back to trying to grab the phone, but she goes back into seating position where she can't reach it. I feel like the laundry line, like, all right, you're right, yeah. you should come. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, I respect it. But yes, dear. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd, like, goes wild. Can we please just get her out of these handcuffs, please? <laughs> Can we focus on that? Focus up. <laughs> then we'll call ABC or whatever. <laughs> so here's my thing. Okay. This movie came out in 2017, right? Yes. Uh, so I'm assuming this is the time. Right, it's 2017. Yes, like, or in the movie. If you're going where Are you, you think you're going, phone? well, yeah. What kind of phone is it? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I I do have a, a reason. 
Please, please, please. Because, uh, no, I, I, I went and yeah, looked on the interweb here. <laughs> Mike Flanagan said on commentary. And he said, he said straight up, he said, if there's one thing you can change from this film, it would be that Jesse plugged the phone up in the car and forgot to bring it inside. Mm. And they would show a shot of it in the car when she's doing that inventory. Yeah. But the thing is, when this was filmed, Hey Siri was not a thing. When it came out, it was. And so the Damn. audience is like, why doesn't she just? Yeah. And he's like, no, she couldn't. Because I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I fully I just thought, accepted it. I never even thought about it. I thought. Um, I was like, oh, no, the phone's all the way over there. <laughs> <laughs> I use Hey Siri about 800 times you a day. Do. And I didn't even think and about it. And it's annoying, man. It never yeah, listens. It doesn't, she doesn't <laughs> like me. No. Well, see, I'm an Android user. Okay. So I don't have Boo, no, Siri, <laughs> whatever that is. I'm just uh, kidding. <laughs> well, Google takes care of me, all right? Yeah, you got to worry about <laughs> you that. You just divided yeah. our audience in half. <laughs> <laughs> but so it says that Siri came out in 2011, though, that it was one well, of the first voice recognition systems. It's the way that it's used. I think that you I, had to push yeah. the button. All right. Because yeah. I was sitting there watching it. And I was like, wait a minute. That's an iPhone. Why didn't you just call for help? hours ago it straight the up other is. day now i will say that i'm taking mike flanagan's word for it because I, <laughs> <laughs> I did not research any of this so me and him are gonna die in that same hill <laughs> um if he's wrong i do apologize <laughs> <laughs> but i just thought it was funny because i was like man why didn't you call before yeah but i mean you're like i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> but when she can't get the phone gerald mockingly tells her tough luck but free jesse thinks pragmatically she says to forget the phone because it may as well be on Mars. She says if Jesse can't get off the bed, then she needs to live long enough for someone to find her on it. Jesse nods in agreement, and once again, she's alone in the room with the dog, who continues to feast on Gerald. She winces in pain, and then Gerald is there, lying next to her. He asks what's wrong, and she admits that her head hurts. He asks if she knows why, and with a smirk, she says, life support. He asks how long someone can live without water, and she guesses three days. He says at best, but he agrees that three days sounds about right. I'm like, you just give it to her, dude. Like, well, it's her thought. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, at best, I guess. No, we're that, right. Sounds right. Yeah. that sounds right. <laughs> he says it's been about seven hours now. She looks at him and begins to cry as she admits that she just wanted to please him so badly. She looks over at his bottle of Viagra and says that this was such a stupid fucking idea. Gerald goes to the bathroom and picks up the bottle. He asks if she remembers when he first started taking it and he hid it from her for six months. Jesse does remember, saying that she found the prescription. And Gerald says that she found it, but she never said anything. He knew that she'd seen it, but he still kept hiding it and they never talked about it. Which is like, you, he just had it out today. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, he's like, he doesn't Fuck care. It. So I guess he did go and get them then. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 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 Okay, okay. He's like, remember when I bought yeah. these off the, on the street? <laughs> I don't well, think he I mean, <laughs> he's a lawyer. So that is, he never knows. Know. Yeah. Jesse recalls one time when he tried without it, but he couldn't until he held her wrists above her head. Gerald says that he hadn't done that before, but Jesse said he had. But this time... Gerald finishes that he grabbed her throat and he does it now. We'll just say that it got the wind into Gerald's sails. He's, you know, he has no decorum. I'll just no, say that. There say is that. an extreme lack of decorum. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he has been. A startling lack of decorum. <laughs> 
Um, as the representative of the decorum forum, I will be <laughs> I will be fining Gerald <laughs> an obscene amount. He is a lawyer. He can, <laughs> right. he can pay him. <laughs> yes. He's got his fucking summer home. He can pay, he can pay the fine. You mean my summer home? <laughs> <laughs> he says that she was a dutiful wife and she didn't object. He lets go of her throat and says that for the first time in all those years, she wondered, and Jesse finishes, who exactly did I marry? Gerald says that you never really know because everyone has their own little corner and their own little button that they don't want to admit that they want pressed. He says that after all those years, he barely gave her a glimpse of his. Free Jesse interrupts from the doorway and says that one thing is for sure. She's glad he took those little blue pills. I'm, okay, I will admit that this pissed me off a little bit. I was like, what the fuck? No, no, no. no. Oh, <laughs> I, was, I was like, what? Well, I mean, that's garbage. But I was like, why are you speaking in riddles to yourself? <laughs> like, it reminded me of when Mac and Dennis lived in the suburbs on Sunny. And he's like, are you sure about that? <laughs> I don't know. Are you sure? It's like, well, just fucking tell why me. Why are you doing this? You're me. You're me. <laughs> On the bed, Jesse is confused, but Free Jesse only reiterates that she's glad. Jesse tries to get into how she felt when she realized he was taking them, but Free Jesse tells her that she doesn't understand. She invites Gerald to take one, and Jesse watches, confused as he does. He puts it in his mouth and chases it with a drink of water from his glass. Free Jesse tells Gerald to give Jesse what she needs, and Gerald eyes her as he walks to the bed and places the glass of water on the shelf above her. A light bulb goes off for Jesse as she looks up above. Free Jesse thanks God for those little blue pills that always made Gerald so thirsty. The writing is great. Yeah. Yeah. Because their way around that, I will admit, I got a little heated <laughs> a second <Yes>. ago. <laughs> but that's very, very interesting to kind of push her in the right direction because it's her own mind and she's following these threads of like oh i did see him put the water up there yeah like i I, it's just so good yeah i i um that is something that i don't ever really talk about like is oh the writing and you know this was that guy will say yeah the story's good but yeah i do i do hear and uh i guess but I, I like the whole everybody has a little corner because I don't know about you guys, but I, I can understand that. You know what I mean? It's like, no, I, you know, I don't like that part of myself, right? Whatever. Or I just don't want to talk about something. I'm not going to talk about it. You know what I mean? It's putting words to something that is kind of universal. Yeah. In a way that you didn't, you would have never thought of. Yeah. yeah. But with the new goal, Jesse reaches up to the shelf above her with both hands she tilts the shelf forward and the glass of water slides to the edge. My anxiety was on fucking 11. Yeah. The tension of it's this. It's so stressful. Yeah. She sets the shelf back down and tries to get herself together. She strains as she lifts only one side of the shelf now, letting the glass slowly slide down to her waiting hand at the other end. She picks up the glass and with great effort brings it down. Gerald watches from the foot of the bed looking amused. Jesse points out that he's smirking, and when she tries to take a drink, she sees why. The chain stops her from being able to fully bring the glass to her face. I'm sorry, but he's still you. Why are you? (laughs) He's like, watch this shit. (laughs) Come on, man. You're thirsty, too. (laughs) He's like, no, seriously, please drink it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've been screaming for six hours. That sucked, man. Seeing her stop oh, right yeah. there. I was like, no, oh, it's heartbreaking. And then, and then waste some of it. Yeah. Because yeah, oh. some of it spills out. But she stares at the traitorous glass and Gerald calls her stupid. She begins to fall apart, but free Jesse snaps into action, telling her not to dare drop it. She coaches her on how to put it back up where she got it from, where she knows that she can reach it again. She sets it down and catches her breath as the dog watches from the doorway. When he starts toward Gerald again, Jesse screams at him to get away. But free Jesse very calmly gets her attention. She says that the dog is only doing what he has to do to get by and that Jesse needs to do the same. The dog is going to town on Gerald, distracting Jesse as free Jesse insists that she focus. So I need to eat Gerald? Right. Yeah. That's the only, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the only way out of right, it? Yeah. That's, that's what it is? <laughs> here, here, boy. Yeah. <laughs> When Jesse says she can't focus, Free Jesse tells her to go ahead and give up, and then tomorrow she and Gerald will be together again, inside the dog. This gets Jesse's attention, and she agrees when Free Jesse asks if they can get back to work. Gerald is suddenly crawling on top of her, and Free Jesse is gone. Gerald remarks that he loves this slip, and Jesse tells him good because she bought it special. Free Jesse reminds her that she bought it brand new. Jesse looks up and sees the large tag that she pulled off of the slip peeking from the shelf. She pulls it down and with one shaking hand, rolls it into a crude straw as the dog continues to feast. This hurt so oh my bad God. to watch. <laughs> I, I was like, no, stop doing that with your hand. <laughs> I was afraid she was going to drop it. No, Like I just, oh my God. Have you ever tried to do that? No. That's terrible. I've never made a straw out of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying just like trying to oh, like to do something it? with one hand, like to oh. roll something or you're messing with something just as like, oh, after Mm-mm. a minute. you're Yeah. And she's had no water. Yeah. Yes. What I was thinking, honestly, is I don't know if this can necessarily work, but I'm allowing it because I want her to have a break. She deserves <laughs> it like, so much. I don't care about the logistics. Right. Please drink some water. She sticks the straw in her mouth and then pulls the glass back down. She leans forward and her efforts are rewarded with a drink of water. She starts to gulp it down, but Free Jesse tells her to leave some for later and she listens. She sets the glass back down on the shelf and then pulls the straw out of her mouth and sets it next to the glass. This done and her thirst quenched, she looks dazed. She whines as she looks over at the dog, still chewing on a hunk of Gerald. She starts to doze off and asks Free Jesse why she can't keep her eyes open. Free Jesse says that stress makes your adrenaline and cortisol levels skyrocket and that results in a crash. Gerald tells her to just fade away and assume that it will all be fine. <laughs> Why? Like, You're fucking yeah. dead, dude. I know. <laughs> Groggily, Jesse says that she knows that she shouldn't, but Gerald says that maybe she should. If she's going to be found, it'll probably be tomorrow, not tonight. Jesse says that she's going to need her energy and Free Jesse agrees. She mutters tomorrow as she slumps over and slips into sleep. We are left with the tableau of Jesse sleeping, still chained to both posts. Free Jesse and Gerald frame either side of her, both gripping one of the posts as Gerald's corpse lay motionless in his blood on the floor. What a bonker shot. Yeah. yeah. I loved it so much. No, it's incredible. We get an outside shot of the house in the darkness of the night before we see the dog sleeping in the doorway to the bedroom. We creep in on the dog slowly and he wakes up and looks around before running fearfully down the hallway, whining. That 
really concerned me. Uh, yeah. yeah. We approach Jesse, who finally wakes up and takes a look around. She sees that the dog is gone and asks where he went. But before she can do anything else, she is hit with pain. This distracts her until she notices the corner of the room next to the windows. There's the vaguest suggestion of a very large person in the shadows. And when she calls out, he comes forward. This is the Moonlight Man, played by Carl Struken. He steps out for a moment before slipping back into the shadows. Everything that he is in, he is such a striking figure. Mm-hmm. Yes. He is, I think, seven feet tall. He's a struken figure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope that's how you say his name. <laughs> You're doing your best. That's I'm doing the best I can. Um, obviously, Dr. Sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have to call you out again because you haven't watched Twin Peaks I'm, yet. I'm sorry, guys. Are you? No, no. Because you haven't watched it. <laughs> oh, you're not. I mean, yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> Define watched it. You know, whatever. But this is what I would torment myself with, this section. Mm-hmm. And so, like, seeing it realized in such a way where... And I, I've said this before. I'm always a sucker in horror movies for the... Is that really there? Like, are my eyes playing tricks on me? Mm-hmm. Shit. And so when he comes out, it's like, oh, like it's, it's horrifying to me. I got to say the addition of the Moonlight Man is one of the greatest choices <laughs> yeah. ever. I think everything that's going on with Jesse already is already the most like horrifying situation ever. Right. So you don't need this. No. Yeah. But it is just an added layer that only drives like the horror even more. And seeing him... And everything that he entails, yeah, it's fucking like incredible to me. I also really love uh, the name, the Moonlight Man, right? Because in the novel, she refers to him as the space cowboy and the gangster of love. Some people uh, call him Maurice. Right. It's his government, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Which is still really cool, but the Moonlight Man is like a, I don't know, this like ethereal, like. Yeah. Maurice, would that be scary? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of the corner. Get the fuck out of here. I meant the other two names. Oh, all right. <laughs> but it does look cool because I, I honestly, the first time I was like, oh, there is there something there? Yeah. But then paying attention, it's like, oh, he is he's fucking right there yeah Yeah. but jesse closes her eyes trying to get herself together before looking back in the corner he stepped out of the shadows again standing closer to the bed jesse looks up at him in terror and asks who he is he starts toward her and she pleads with him saying that she needs help she smiles up at him hopefully and he smiles back instead of helping her though he looks down at the case in his hands He holds it open to her, presenting her with shining jewelry and bones. Jesse's smile is gone now. She shakes her head and speaks as calmly as she can, telling him that he's not real. I I don't know why, but he was overjoyed at what he had. He was real, real, like, pleased with himself. It's like, oh, bones and jewels. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Cool, 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 cool. Um, (laughs) It really was. Yeah, he's just trying to offer something nice. Yeah. And oddly, the. Quality of the jewels, not so much the bones. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't matter. Those look used. Great, that was a great quality. Used. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're those are not <laughs> new. <laughs> they're not even refurbished. <laughs> um, but the quality of the jewels for me oddly added to the supernatural feel of it. 
Okay. For sure. Because yeah. it's like, are, is this like the fucking River Styx? Is this? Oh, all oh, right, all right. Okay. You know? And I didn't so think about that. It, yeah. it got me. Also, I do want to say, now that we have a clear view of the Moonlight Man, Carl Struken went through four hours of makeup for every day. Damn. That he did the uh, film. Moonlight Man? <laughs> I think they call it a film. A motion picture. Yes. <laughs> the talkie? The talkie, yes. <laughs> Uh, it gets to an hour. I think that things just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we started recording too late. I think so. <laughs> we'll retool. We will see you next week. <laughs> but Jesse closes her eyes again and we see his shadow and hear his footsteps as he gets closer to her. We press in on Jesse, who keeps her eyes firmly closed and repeats again that he's not real. Gerald appears next to her, saying, maybe. Or maybe you're just not safe anymore. Jesse keeps her eyes closed as Gerald continues. He muses that people are safe from ghouls and ghosts and the living dead in the daylight. And they're usually safe from them at night too. But a person alone in the dark? He says that women alone in the dark are like open doors. If they scream for help, who knows what might answer? Whether this is King or Flanagan, this is just brilliant. It's, it's literally chilling. Yeah. yeah, And the way he delivers the lines... I can't, dude. Because it's almost like this, like, I'm just trying to level with you and be yeah. honest. But, like, everything you're saying is the worst thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. It's part, like, campfire tale. And yeah. Part, yeah. <laughs> like, well, you're you're a grown woman now. Yeah. I, can, yeah. I can be honest <laughs> with you. tell you what really yeah. happens. <laughs> he asks what people see in the moment of their solitary death. He ponders that it's not so hard to believe that some of them could have died of fear, regardless of what their death certificates say. He looks over into the corner as he continues that they died of fear because they saw the moonlight man. He says that maybe that's what death looks like. Jessie still has her eyes squeezed shut and she only repeats, not real. Gerald looks back at her and asks, then why did the dog leave? Come on, man. It's like, stop, yeah. stop, stop. stop, stop. Yeah. <laughs> but in all honesty, this is exactly what you do when you're in yep. bed. And you hear something, yep. you're like, well, that probably wasn't a demon or anything. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but what about? Well, <laughs> pretty sure I heard a screech. <laughs> Jessie opens her eyes, and now the corner is empty. Instead of letting her have this victory, Gerald proposes that he just moved under the bed. Maybe he can reach up at any time and put his hand on her hip. Jessie stares at the corner of the bed until a hand does slam down on it from underneath. But when he pulls himself up, it's Gerald wearing a button down. You fucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I was very confused as to why he was wearing a shirt. And then it all makes perfect sense later. Yeah. And it's such a slight little bit of foreshadowing that is just, again, the films that reward you with a rewatch. Yeah. This That moment, it means something. Yes. He says that if the Moonlight Man wants to put his cold, dead hand on her soft, warm flesh, well, there's nothing you can do about it, Mouse. Jesse asks what he called her, but he ignores this. He tells her to just close her eyes because monsters under the bed won't bother you if you're asleep. He says everyone knows that, Mouse. She tells him not to call her that, and he ignores this again and tells her to dream her dreams and dream deep as it fades to black. We cut to young Jessie, played by Chiara Aurelia, getting out of the car and looking up at her family's lake house. Her father, Tom, played by Henry Thomas, asks her if she's okay, and she comments that the house is so much smaller than she remembers. He tells her this is just because she's bigger. As he walks up to the house, he tells her, come on, mouse. 
And like when he says it, the score starts. Yes. Because it's this moment of, oh, fuck. Yeah. We And we haven't heard music in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also do want to call out that um, back and forth of what she said about the house and his answer to her. Yeah. So important yeah. later. Mm-hmm. And again, I did not catch that until this time. Jesse follows her father as her little sister and brother, Maddie and James, played by Adeline Jones and Bryce Harper, run alongside them. Their mother, Sally, played by Kate Siegel. Yes. Who we love. Indeed. Oh, yeah. Is very pregnant and follows behind them, telling them not to run. She was actually pregnant with their son. (laughs) And I think they filmed all of these sections first because within two days of her filming, she was getting to the point where she was so far in her pregnancy that she couldn't fly and she had to get back to L.A. Oh, Oh, wow. And so they filmed her scenes first and then they took her back. Oh, I will say that I, I watching these again, like this movie, I noticed everybody that's in yes. yeah. <laughs> everything else. He does. Like, yeah. I know you. And it's cool because this, um, I think this is only the second time he worked with Henry Thomas. It's the first time he worked with Carla Gugino. Yeah. So it's this, the building blocks of this Flanagan universe. Yeah. Well, even uh, Bruce Greenwood is yeah. in Dr. Sleep for a second. Yeah. And he's going to be in the fall of the house of Usher with basically everyone. Oh my God, yeah. I cannot wait. I can't wait. But as we get shots of an empty dock, the radio announces that for the first time in 26 years, the United States will experience a total solar eclipse. Was it a solar eclipse we saw in Paris when we were children? Because I remember... I don't know what it was. I just remember being, being told. told not to- <laughs> <laughs> but if I looked at it, my eyes were going to burn out of my head. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were going to melt like ice cream. Yeah, I was so horrified. <laughs> the announcer continues to talk about cities in the path of the eclipse, setting up viewer centers for the guests to safely watch, you know, so their eyes don't burn out of their Tom walks down the dock with life jackets only to be stopped by his younger children to show off the viewers they made to be able to see the eclipse. He tells them to go down to the end of the dock and get on the boat, but he looks up at the house to see Jesse filling a cooler with ice. He goes after Maddie and James. Jesse finishes her job of filling the cooler as the announcer says that their area will experience two minutes and 20 seconds of totality starting today at 417. Jesse sits down on a swing and Sally comes over to ask if she wants her to make some sandwiches for when they're on the boat. Jesse drops the bomb that she doesn't think she wants to go on the boat today. The lake scares her because people have drowned there. Sally looks unamused. (laughs) (laughs) We cut to Tom defending Jesse to Sally. They stand in the kitchen and Tom says that if Jesse doesn't want to go out on the boat, he's not going to force her. Jesse walks into the room in a small sundress, but stops when she sees the discourse. Sally says that they came out here to watch the eclipse on the lake as a family. She says that it won't kill Jesse to spend some time with the whole family because she's a complete daddy's girl. Tom tries to say that that's normal, but Sally is annoyed. Jesse hides behind the wall, but peeks out to hear the rest of the conversation. Tom says that when Sally didn't want to go skiing with them over Christmas, nobody forced her onto the mountain. Well, we're not talking about me. Right, yeah. I'm the adult, though. Yeah, I can do whatever the fuck I want. Or not do whatever the fuck. (laughs) He says that she was allowed to stay at the lodge and relax. Sally invites him to just stay with Jesse then. She says that Jesse is a nuisance anyway, fighting with her younger brother and rolling her eyes at Sally. Tom tries to remind her that Jesse is 12 and that's age appropriate behavior. But Sally has to point out that she's nothing but smiles and sweetness for daddy. 
I did want to say I know that she doesn't know that her daughter's within earshot, but to call your daughter a nuisance. I mean, that's a lot. I do get the frustration because I could literally see this happening where we've all planned this whole thing. And then one of them is like, no, I don't want to do it anymore. And it's like, that's the whole reason we're here. <laughs> yeah. I get the frustration. But yeah, you never want to like. Because the things you say, like it carries. Oh, they they stick in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Sally tries to explain how she feels and finally just tells Tom that it's fine. The next thing we see is Sally, Maddie, James and another couple leaving on the boat. Jesse sits on the bench in front of the house, still listening to the radio. The host reminds their listeners not to look directly into the eclipse. They don't say that your eyes will melt out, but, but your eyes will melt out. Yeah. Look like fucking, what was it, Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark? <laughs> Tom changes the channel to 50s music and remarks that that's better. Unless Jesse doesn't want to listen to daddy's old man music. But Jesse says that she likes it. Tom walks over to the bench, the sun blazing in the sky above him. He tells her that he likes her dress and Jesse says that her mom told her it was too short, but Tom says that she was wrong. She looks amazing like a proper young woman. Warning here again. I know I gave a warning up at the top, but if you think that it was just what happened at the beginning, it is about to get a lot worse. He hands her a viewer so that she can look at the eclipse before sitting down next to her. Jesse asks where his viewer is, and he says that he doesn't know, but she can just scoot close and they'll share. She does, and we get a view through the box as the eclipse begins. Tom tells her that it's starting, and he hands the viewer over to her. As she looks through it, Tom puts an arm behind her and stares at her. She notices and asks him what, and he says that he's just remembering when they used to sit on the swing together when she was little. She would sit in his lap and point at the stars and ask how far away each one was. Jesse chuckles and says that that's embarrassing, but Tom disagrees. He says it's the sweetest. She looks through the viewer again as the moon continues to encroach upon the sun, and Tom says that he and Mouse had some good times out here. He tries to dismiss a thought as stupid, but when she asks him what it is, he asks, well, how about it for old time's sake? And the way, like, you know, when somebody wants to say something, but they're like, well, you know, oh, no, like, never mind. You wouldn't get it anyway. And they want you to be like, no, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's extremely performative. Absolutely. And I think the thing with casting Henry Thomas, Flanagan told him, he said, look, we are you're a very likable guy. Yeah. Well, we talked and about this with, with Justin Long. Exactly. Yeah. Like and it's it's really subverting, you know. Yeah. And it's tricking the audience because. When I saw him get out of the car, you're like, oh, yeah, Henry Thomas. Yeah. Is, yeah. And I was excited. I was happy. But it really is that subversion. And it, it tricks your own yeah. preconceived ideas of uh, the characters that Henry Thomas plays. Yeah. And right. just like we talked about the other week, it's very effective. Because it is. It really knocks you on your ass. But Jesse looks startled and Tom immediately says that it was just a silly idea from a silly old man. He was just thinking about how happy those times were. But now she's a grown woman, too big to sit on daddy's lap. He says that he just misses his little girl sometimes. Jesse looks back at the eclipse, almost halfway done, before she looks back at her father and tells him that she's not too big. She gets up and sits on Tom's lap. He kisses her shoulder and tells her that he loves her, and she says the same before returning her attention to the eclipse. The radio begins to play Bring It On Home To Me by Sam Cooke. So that, to me, I feel like it's an intermingling of memories in Jesse's mind, present day, past, 
everything. I don't think that this is actually playing on the radio. I took it as that it was, and that's why she turned it off in the car. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's how I took it. That's what I thought. I thought because she was she's asleep right now. Yeah. And she's reliving this in a dream. Yeah. So I didn't know if, you know how dreams work. Yeah. You watch something and then you dream about exactly. it. Exactly. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Or and you're it's dancing to yeah. your alarm that's mm, ringing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're like, Why? for what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, the brain shouldn't work like it that. It really no. shouldn't. But that's how I took it was that even subconsciously she just switched it off. And he's like, no, you don't like it. She's like, oh, no, I'm just enjoying the view. Okay. I mean, I think that's that's a fair point. It's a hell of a view. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Now back to the horror. Yeah. The sky is bathed in a strange red light as the eclipse is almost in totality. Jesse comments that it's just amazing, but Tom is intensely focused on his daughter's shoulder in front of him as we hear the unmistakable metallic clinging of his belt. Jesse tells him that he's missing it, but he says for her to just keep watching. They're both bathed in red light now. Tom begins to move beneath her and Jesse looks scared. She calls out to him, but he only repeats that she just keep watching the eclipse. It is in totality now, completely black with an eerie red rim around it. Jesse wakes up in the bed. So I have no words for how horrible that was. Yeah. Um, very there aren't any. difficult, uncomfortable. Um, honestly, even with the Moonlight Man, this is the most horrific thing in mm-hmm. the film. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about the eclipse because it's a very interesting visual obviously eclipse that's not really what yeah happens yeah but it's so interesting for them to use red the way that they do and the color red is really not used in the film at all unless it's blood or unless that's it's true okay and so it really makes it that much more striking um flanagan had said on commentary that the attempt was to make it surreal so that it almost distracts you from the What's true happening? horror yeah. of the situation that you're kind of almost an overload visually. Yeah. Uh, I did also want to point out because it is very important. Flanagan said on commentary, the child actress, uh, it was a closed set. So it was only Flanagan, Michael Feminari, the cinematographer and um, Henry Thomas, the child actress and the child actress's mother. Good. And so at any point, if it was too anything, the mother could step in. It was very, very properly handled because this is probably one of the worst things we've ever talked about on the show. Yeah, Yeah, uh, for sure. And I don't want to dwell on it too long. I just having read the book, Uh I'm like, how far are we going? Right. And still I was just at a loss for words. Like I was like, yeah. And just everything leading up to it, like, again, I'm not going to stay here for very long. Good. But just, good. <laughs> but just the fact that he's, um, the things that he's saying are such, for the most part, things that dads say, but it's wrong somehow. And you feel that and it just, it snowballs into something horrific. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's it's incredibly upsetting. And having Henry Thomas. Again, exactly. It's Your that, expectation of him, yeah. It's it's just uh, horrible. And, I mean, but knowing the proper precautions are taken yeah. off screen, yeah. it it helps a little. Yeah. But it's, it's still fucking horrible. No, it's awful. But back in the bed, Jessie is sunk down in her sleep and her arms are raised above her. She immediately begins to groan in pain as she rises back up. Flies swirl around Gerald's body on the floor and the dog is back in the doorway. 
Jesse's hands are purple as they hang from the cuffs. Free Jesse sits next to the window and tells her that they need circulation. She's been hanging on them all night. Jesse tries to move them, clearly in pain and remarking that her hands burn. Suddenly, her legs curl up and she begins to kick them on the bed. Free Jesse identifies the pain as cramps and Jesse screams. Free Jesse assures her that the cramps will pass if she pedals her legs and gets the blood flowing. She follows instructions, pedaling her legs on the bed, and we see from a view across the room that she is alone in her room with Gerald dead splayed out in front of the bed. Once she begins to calm down, the dog sets his head back down. Flanagan had said in commentary that when you see Carla Gugino in the handcuffs, mm-hmm. she's in the handcuffs Oof. and has been. They would try to give her breaks between <sighs> takes. Yeah. And thankfully, see, that's the other thing is they had a very, very intricate shot list, him and Michael Feminari, and they would try to pace it out to where there were some shots where you don't see her arms at all. And she's really just holding silk ties. Good. Uh, okay. So give her a little bit yeah. of a break. Yeah. Damn. Flanagan said that he tried it himself because he was like, I don't want to make her do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Yeah. He said he lasted six minutes. Oh my uh, God. I bet though. Yeah. Like unbelievable. Agony. That would fucking suck. Yeah. yeah. And to think like two weeks ago, you didn't have yeah. this part. Yeah. yeah. And now you're like, no, you're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna fucking suck. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. But Jesse takes a drink of water with her makeshift straw and puts everything back up on the shelf as free Jesse watches over her. She catches her breath and looks down at the flies at the foot of the bed. Suddenly, Gerald is next to her, commenting on her bad dreams. He says she never told him about the eclipse, and Jesse says that she never told anyone. Gerald says that a marriage is telling each other the difficult things, but Jesse says not that one. Gerald remarks, no wonder it didn't work out. Jesse says that it wasn't relevant to them, but Free Jesse has another opinion. She says that she married an older man. Tom was a lawyer, and so was Gerald. Tom minimized and objectified her, and Gerald pipes in to tell her not to forget about his drinking problem. Free Jesse, with the smirk, tells him that if he had a drinking problem, it's cured now. So this is on, what'd you say, ABC? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, in my head, I was like, this is another sitcom moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> she turns to Jessie and tells her that she married into the only dynamic that she's ever known. She was a girl and he was a man. She never walked away from the eclipse and the afternoon never ended. Jesse asks if it's really not enough that she has to be here on this bed, but they're making her be there too. Free Jesse recalls that Jesse had just gotten her first period the month before. She proposes that maybe that's what got him going. He smelled the blood and did what dogs do. The writing again is great with the dog metaphor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, again, it's so horrific that it's like, it's awful. Just terrible. Yeah. She gestures toward the dog, saying that he's every man that Jesse has ever known. He had Kobe ribeye, which was good until he found Gerald, just like Tom was fine with Sally until Jesse. She brings up all of Gerald's late night phone calls and mystery work trips. What was he really doing? She says she ignored it, but his hunger for her had faded and a dog's got to eat. I'm like, Gerald, you're not going to be like, no, I wasn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> he it's, doesn't say anything. Well, it's still Jesse. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I so know. He's but like, still. yeah, that's probably. Yeah. <laughs> I probably was. 
Jesse says that she handled it, but free Jesse says it's just like she handled sitting on her dad's lap. Jesse begins to cry and make excuses for her father, saying that he never touched her, only himself. Even Gerald is hit by this. She says that if you want to blame someone, you could blame her mother, the boat, or the short sundress. She says that what her father did to her isn't the worst thing anyone has ever done. This is gut-wrenching. Yeah, it's hard to even... Yeah. Free Jesse agrees, saying that the worst thing is what he did after, in the bedroom. Gerald asks what he did, and Jesse tells him that Tom didn't do anything. He just talked to her. Gerald surmises that Tom didn't do anything on the swing. He didn't do anything in the room either. It might as well have just been a bad dream. Jesse looks up at Gerald and says that she did have a dream that night. There was a woman standing over a deep well looking down into it. Jesse dreamed that she was in the well looking up at the woman. The sky was dark with the eclipse behind the woman, and she remembers the smell in the well, like pennies and oysters. She says that the woman stood there in a red dress looking right at her. Gerald asks what was in the well, and Jesse replies in a whisper, secrets. Gerald agrees, so many secrets. Free Jesse says that Jesse thought her dreams could go down there too, in the darkness of the well. Gerald asks who the woman was, and Jesse says she thought it may have been her. She could tell just by looking at her that she would never tell. She would die before she told, and Jesse figured she could do that too. She says she doesn't even know why she thought of that because it was just a dream. Now, yes, the woman isn't her, it's Dolores Claiborne. And again, like I can't recommend reading Gerald's Game enough. Can't recommend <laughs> reading Dolores Claiborne. Or if you're into audiobooks, Frances Sternhagen reads it and mm. she is fucking phenomenal. All right. Just listen to it. It's great. But there's this, uh, without giving anything away, there's this like kind of magical moment where the two stories meet each other because they're both happening in the path of the eclipse. That's incredible. Okay. It is phenomenal. That's why. Uh, I tweeted at Mike Flanagan to please give us a Dolores Claiborne <laughs> <laughs> because this really felt like, I mean, come on, uh-huh. just don't, yeah. don't tease it. You remember whenever I couldn't remember what that film was about and I said it was about a land deal <laughs> or something? <laughs> I was wrong, clearly. You were wrong. You're yeah. very wrong. But I, I think it would have been interesting if they were like, well, who's the woman up in the well? And she's like, is she... You know, Kathy Bates, you ever seen, <laughs> you ever seen <laughs> Kathy <Misery>? Bates? <laughs> about, about Schmidt? Yeah. <laughs> but she says that it was a dream and Gerald muses like the man in the corner. Jesse agrees. He was definitely a bad dream. But Gerald chuckles, saying that he doesn't know, but she can tell herself that if she wants. While he's talking, a fly lands on his lip and crawls into his mouth. He runs his tongue across his tooth and the fly buzzes away. It was, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) well, I thought he ate it at first. Gerald, you nasty. Your appetite changes when you die. (laughs) He'll have that to look forward to or whatever, since he's being such an asshole. Yeah, he really is. But Jesse maintains that he was just a trick of the mind, just like Gerald and free Jesse are. Gerald asks why she's afraid to look over there for more than a second then. Jesse is getting more and more upset, and free Jesse asks her why she's still listening to him, but Jesse only shushes her. She cranes her neck to look over the bed, where there seems to be a bloody footprint between where the dog lies in the doorway and Gerald's body at the foot of the bed. 
Jesse offers that it's probably from the dog, but Gerald points out that it's too big for that, and he implores her to look again. Well, then the dog wore one of your shoes. Obviously. That's, obviously, that's, that's the what only it was. thing. He seems to be doing whatever he wants to do. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past him. Jesse begins to cry, but she does look. She looks at the print on the floor, and Gerald tells her that he thinks it's a footprint. And if it is, but Jesse tells him to shut up. Gerald finishes anyway. It was death she saw, and he'll be back tonight. And after she dies, he'll have her wedding ring in his case with the rest of his pretty things, his souvenirs. His used bones. <laughs> yeah. His used bones. His gently used bones. Yeah. Can you even bring me new ones? Yeah, goddamn. Jesse has had enough. She says she's going to close her eyes and count to 10, and when she opens them, they'll both be gone. Free Jesse tells her not to do it and to stay awake. She insists that she is awake, but she closes her eyes and counts down from 10. When she gets to one and opens them, she's looking at herself in the lake house on that horrible day when she was 12 years old. Young Jesse stands in front of the mirror in her bedroom, looking at herself before changing her clothes. She lays the sundress out on her bed, now wearing a sweater and jeans. Tom stands in the doorway and asks if she's all right. Jesse doesn't answer, but turns around to look at him. He tells her that he's so sorry, and he goes over to her, but she takes a step back. He sits down on her bed and asks her to sit beside him. Reluctantly, she does. They both sit facing forward before Tom says that he's sorry that she was there when he... But he quickly says it's not like he touched her, which is literally what she said earlier. Just so sad. When Jesse doesn't answer or look at him, he says that maybe they should tell her mother. Tears on her face, Jesse looks at him, fear-stricken. He says that he thinks that they have to. He'd really hate to because things have been so tense between Jesse and her mother lately. Honestly, things have been tense between Sally and Tom too because of the baby, but this could make things a lot worse. Jesse begins to cry harder, but Tom offers that she won't think that it's Jesse's fault. Well, he's pretty sure that she won't, I mean, she might, but they'll know that it wasn't her fault. This whole scene makes me literally sick to my stomach. Yeah, like, it's... And I think it's also because of the performances of both actors. Yes. Mm -hmm. They're doing brilliantly with this horrible material. Yeah. And the material, the content. Yes. No, yeah. Mike Flanagan steams a good ham, but this, but this is, is awful. Yeah. horrible. Yeah. Jesse chews on her fingernails for a second before proposing that maybe they shouldn't tell her. Tom says that they have to. Jesse asks why. And lying on the bed, her head tilted severely to one side and her hands still locked in cuffs, Jesse whispers, because you can't keep it a secret. Back in the past at the lake house, Tom says the same thing. If it's ever going to come out, it needs to happen now, not in a week, a year or 10 years. Jesse asks him please and promises that she won't tell. And Tom feigns reluctance and says that if they don't tell her mother today, they can never tell anyone. In the present, Jesse promises that she won't. And in the past, she promises her father the same. Tom continues, she can't just keep it from her mom. She can't tell anyone. And that's a huge responsibility for a little girl, a young woman, which is disgusting because she was a, a grown woman earlier. Mm -hmm. And now when it suits him to, you know, it, it, it just makes me so mad. It makes me very angry. Yeah. Yes. He says that she might be tempted to tell her friends if one of them tells her a secret. 
And she might even want to tell her brother or sister. But Jesse interrupts him. No, she'll never tell. She promises and swears. But Tom says again that maybe it's best that they both take their medicine now. Shining reference. Take Take a a shot. shot. It's not like Sally can kill them. Jesse cries, begging him, please not to tell her. She says she'll never tell anyone. Tom says that he's never been able to refuse her anything that she wanted. So he agrees. They'll try things her way. It's, Manipulation on fucking 11. Yeah, yeah, it's just awful. Uh, I did want to call out the interplay between different time periods. Yeah. The editing of that is brilliant. Mm. And as usual, the editor was Mike Flanagan. He... the. That's like an ace for him. Like he always knows how to like, we talked about this in Oculus. Uh Yeah. Just dip back and forth. Haunting of Hill House, I mean, is a prime example. Yes. He actually, he was talking about how whenever they were filming this, they filmed obviously these two horrible scenes first. Mm -hmm. And then whenever they had them, he's editing them as they're filming everything else. And so he has them to show to Carla Gugino. Oh, wow. And so she is able to watch them and commit them to memory as if they are a memory and oh, use them right. for her performance. Yeah, yeah. So it's just very smartly done. That's genius. But cuffed to the bed, Jesse says, thank you, daddy. Tom sits next to her on the bed and outlines their deal. They both say nothing, not to anyone and not even to each other. Once they walk out of this room, it never happened. Jesse agrees Tom finally turns away from her, overcome with emotion suddenly, and says that he did a shameful thing. Jesse realizes that he looked away when he said that. He could lie to her face, but he had to turn away to finally tell the truth. Back in the lake house bedroom, Tom is still turned away from his daughter. He says that he doesn't know what came over him, and he blames it on the eclipse. He thanks God that they'll never see another one. Don't blame the shit on the eclipse. Yeah, yeah, that was not at all. He looks back at Jesse and repeats that nothing happened. Nothing ever happened. He stands up casually and says for them to get grilling because the rest of the family will be back in a bit. He leaves and Jesse collapses backward on her bed on top of her sundress. Her arms are splayed out wide in a position that will become all too familiar to her when she's older. I did also want to kind of call out that the arm position mm-hmm. because it feels almost like the Jesus Christ pose. Right. And with Mike Flanagan's background, he was, I thought possibly it's a signifier of that. She is dying for his sins. Oh fuck. Okay. But I didn't know if I should say that. I just thought it was a parallel between the handcuffs. Right. Right. I mean, it could be both. Yeah. Damn. There's a strange licking sound and Jesse sits up confused At the end of the bed, the moonlight man clutches onto her feet, licking one of them. His face is bathed in shadows, but his eyes shine brightly with twin eclipses. The repetition of that eclipse is such a smart visual thing. I don't even know what to call it, but it's brilliant. This wakes adult Jessie from her memories, and she realizes that it's the dog licking her foot. Oh, punk ass dog. Dude, <laughs> Let me die and then eat me. And Fuck you, gonna I know you can't like, wait. Yeah. There is plenty of Gerald left. <laughs> yeah, no shit. You fucking asshole. Now I'm mad. Now I'm mad at the dog. Right? Look at the look at the cake. He landed on his stomach. Go eat his ass. He's, already doing. The cake. He's been working out for eight weeks. Yeah. No shit. Look at those glutes. It's lean muscle. <laughs> 
She kicks him in the face, which only pisses him off. And he jumps back on the bed and takes a bite out of crime. And by crime, I mean her calf. But crime earlier meant... It's different now. Okay. (laughs) She kicks him away again and he watches her whining. Almost as an act of defiance, he rips a piece of flesh away from Gerald and goes back to his spot in the doorway to eat it. He's like, why already fucking had food anyway? (laughs) You're not depriving me of anything. (laughs) Gerald comes over to tell her calmly that the dog is going to try that again because she's fresher meat. She's strong enough to kick now, but she won't be for long. And the dog knows it. He can smell it. He looks out the window and comments that it's afternoon already. The sun is about to go down and no one came this morning. Maybe they did, but she was asleep. He assures her that someone will eventually find her, but it might take a long time. He says that the first thing people will think is that they're off on a wild romantic fling. Jesse smiles at this a little, and Gerald says, why wouldn't they think that? Only they know what it really was. To the rest of the world, they looked perfect. He says that soon people, his people, will come looking for them. There are some women back in New Orleans that Jesse calls her friends, but she never really let them into her life. So they won't notice if she dropped out of sight for a week or 10 days, but he has appointments. Questions will be raised when he's not back by Friday, and that's when they'll start looking. He gets in bed next to her and says that he thinks it'll be the caretaker that finds their bodies. He'll either see her through the window and call the cops, or maybe he'll just smell them. Gerald, I think we're going to revoke your speaking privileges. (laughs) Like, this is like... You get back in my head (laughs) and shut the fuck up. He says the caretaker will turn away while he throws a blanket on her so he doesn't have to see her fingers sticking out of the handcuffs, stiff as pencils and white as candles. Worse than that, he won't want to see the expression of horror on her face. Jesse asks why he's doing this to her, but he just continues. He talks about the paramedics who will come and wince at her and agree amongst themselves that the woman on the bed died hard but they won't know the half of it and they won't know the real reason her eyes are staring and her mouth is screaming is because of what she saw coming out of the dark at the end. I love the stiffest pencils, whitest candles. That is a great line. Um, I also want to talk about the camera slowly pressing Mm -hmm. in and Mm -hmm. tilting. It's like, it's so smart when you have a whole film basically taking place in one place. Yeah. All these different shot compositions. Yeah. Constantly just keeping it interesting. Yes. Mm -hmm. But Gerald needs to shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) He says that she'll have an autopsy and they'll inspect her stomach contents and her brain. But in the end, they'll call it death by misadventure. They'll think they were playing a harmless game and the man had a heart attack and the woman was left and she died hard. He says that maybe someone will notice her wedding ring is gone, but if they look for it at all, they won't look long. They won't notice one of her bones. Maybe just the third phalange in her right foot is gone, but they'll know. They'll know he took them because what she saw was death. And she saw him just like people who die in lonely places do. And when the sun goes down tonight, he'll be back. Anybody else get goosebumps there? Like, why though, man? I'm still alive right now. Why? Right now. Yeah, yeah, but still, I'll call you when I'm ready. You don't don't need to do this right now. Keep checking on me. Yeah, come on, dude. I'll make an appointment. Yeah. (laughs) Jesse begins to sing the Mockingbird song, but stops with the calm realization that she's going to die. Gerald tells her that everything dies, all things serve the beam. Dark Tower? Mm hmm. I got chills when I watched this the first time. I was like, <gasps> oh, no, all things do serve. The <laughs> they beam. do serve the beam. 
Jesse starts to sing again and says again that she's going to die. She continues singing and Gerald says that he'll come quicker that way and she won't need to wait all night for the moonlight man. She starts to say again, I'm going to, but Gerald is now Tom and he finishes her sentence. Sleep. She's going to sleep. Jesse starts to sing again before dozing off and it cuts to black. The eclipse burns bright red and ominous over the lake as Jessie stands in front of the swing where she once sat with her father. She goes into the house and finds her 12-year-old self sitting on her bed wearing the sundress. She walks over to her and sees that her hands are cuffed in front of her. Jessie apologizes and her younger self tells her that she doesn't need to be sorry. She just wants her to remember Jessie tells her that she remembers everything, every shame-filled glance that Tom gave her, Sally looking at it all but not seeing anything. Young Jessie tells her calmly that that's not what she's talking about, but Jessie continues. Sally seeing what happened meant Maddie was also doomed, so it was up to her to protect Maddie, even if it meant never feeling like part of the family ever again. Tears roll down young Jesse's face as Jesse continues that that wasn't her job. Her job was to be a kid, and suddenly she didn't have that option anymore. Young Jesse tells her that she's had everything she's needed to survive since the very beginning. That's what she needs to remember. I feel like they could stand to be a little less vague with herself. With herself. Well, <laughs> fucking uh, free Jess, as you call. Yeah. Uh, she was like, no, you, you, <laughs> you're glad he had the drink or whatever. Right? It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? We're, time is of the essence. Right. You know. Tell me. <laughs> I'm I, me. Did I swallow a handcuff key? And I don't remember. <laughs> Spell it out. Yes. She says, not the sun or the eclipse. Afterwards, she smiles up at her older self. The night of the eclipse, the whole family eats dinner in the dining room. Sally and the younger kids are talking about how much fun they had on the boat. Tom says that it was beautiful here, too, and that they had fun. He gets up and kisses his wife's head while caressing her pregnant belly. Sally asks Jessie if she had a good time with her dad, and the glass Jessie's holding in her hand suddenly crumbles from her squeezing it. She's bleeding, and the glass is embedded in her palm. Sally starts to get up, but Tom sits her back down and rushes to his daughter. Sally looks at the two of them, very concerned, as Jesse apologizes. Tom rushes her out of the room, but in slow motion, we see Jesse look back at her mother, her expression haunted. The light above Sally, James, and Maddie turns off, and everything is in black again. In the bathroom, Tom wraps up her palm and tells her that she'll live. He asks if she's okay, and she flatly says that she is. Tom just advises her to be careful. Jessie opens her eyes on the bed again and sees her younger self as Tom wraps her hand in her own bathroom. He says the last thing he wants is to have to take her to the emergency room to get her fingers sewn back on. The light goes off over them in the bathroom and Jessie looks up at the shelf above her. Now in the book, they were making like smoked glass to look at the eclipse from. Uh -huh. And that's what he was like warning her to be careful with or whatever. The whole glass breaking scene didn't happen but i think it's super effective especially like her bringing her mom into it uh -huh. and saying like like it was here but you didn't see it but free jesse appears by her bedside advising her that it's gonna fucking hurt jesse counters that the thing about blood is that it's as slick as oil until it clots as someone who did not read the book 
I was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's gonna hurt? Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> Gerald is at the foot of the bed now, sternly telling Jesse that this is not going to work. Jesse says it might not, but the wrists have fewer nerves than the other checkpoints in the body. That's why it's the best way to. But when Gerald interrupts and asks how she knows so much about that, she doesn't answer. Free Jesse warns her that if she cuts too deep, she'll bleed to death. Jesse says that if she doesn't do it, she's dead anyway, whether by seizures, dehydration, the dog, or her visitor with his bag of bones. Another Stephen King reference. <laughs> I just got to say, <laughs> bag of bones made me sob my fucking face off. I told mom that I was going to read it, and she was like, it's really sad. And I was like, ah, I'm going to read it. <laughs> and so I read it, and I texted her, and I was like, it was really sad. I was like, crying. <laughs> she was like, I told you. Yeah, you were warned. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen. I don't listen. But speaking of the visitor, Gerald tells her that the sun is coming down and that he'll be back soon. It's like, what are you, the hall monitor? Like, what are you, you can fucking stop. Is he texting you? What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> Tell him not to come. He Tell- said the phone was dead. Yeah. What the fuck? I see you over there. Who is at the moonlight, man? Yeah. You're on Twitter, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> Jessie tries to lift her arm to reach the glass, but her wrists are bruised purple and she can barely lift them. Gerald takes this as a sign that she can't do this, but Jessie says that she doesn't need to move them much. Gerald points out that her legs won't be reliable after not using them for a day and a half. But this just makes Jessie laugh. She says that if her hands pull this off, her legs better do their fucking part. Chef's kiss. Yeah, yeah you better, motherfucker. For real. Yeah. I'm talking to you, legs. Yeah. <laughs> you listen? <laughs> <to me? laughs> Gerald looks over at Free Jesse out of excuses. She accepts Jesse's decision and tells her to visualize the whole thing. Jesse does, lifting her hand up to the glass and bringing it back down. She looks over at the phone on her nightstand and then at the handcuff key on the bathroom counter. Free Jesse says that her body is already dehydrated, so once this starts, it all needs to go very quickly. She starts to say that if anything goes wrong, but Jesse finishes. It doesn't matter. She says goodbye and starts to sob. Jesse takes a moment to collect herself and she raises her hand up to the glass. It shakes as she brings it back down. She dumps out the water, which I'm sure really hurt to do. But that just shows, in, in all honesty, I feel like that's the faith that she has in herself. Yeah. Yeah. This so is like it. it's going to work. Yeah. But when she notices the dog taking interest in her from the doorway, she tells him to stay right there. He licks his chops, but he obeys. Jesse raises the glass back up to the shelf and counts to three before shattering it. She's able to hold the base in her hand along with shards. There's glass embedded in her palm, but she's able to dump the base and stick a shard in the side of the shelf. With the glass supported by the shelf fully, she presses her wrist against it. Jessie screams in pain as she drags her wrist across the glass, spilling blood down her arm. It flows beneath the cuff, but Jessie continues to cut into her wrist. She continues to scream as she brings down her hand and tries to force it out of the cuff. She pulls her wrist down as the filleted skin from her hand pushes against it. We watch as Jessie gruesomely degloves herself, but after what feels like forever, the cuff clinks against the bed, bloody and empty. 
Mike Flanagan hates hands. I just got to say that right <laughs> off the rip. This is so gruesome. I yes. cannot watch it without physically reacting to it. It is so hard to look at. Yeah, it, you've been through enough. Uh-huh. Yes! I understood, but... Oh, man. It's gruesome. I literally... My notes say this is one of the most gruesome things I've ever seen. Literally. It's, it's so detailed. There's parts of the no, hand yeah. I don't need to know about that mm-hmm. I saw. Um, that I'll never forget. Um, I think the thing was for me is that I imagine anybody that's read the book probably was looking toward this scene, mm-hmm. waiting for it. And so he had to deliver. Yeah. Because if you don't deliver the goods, and I'm sure it was probably described in even more gruesome detail. I just didn't. It, there's different. There's a. I can't even talk. <laughs> there's a difference between what you can imagine yourself and you're like, oh, when you're uh-huh. reading the book. And he forces you to experience this with her like we watch it happen yeah well sometimes i look away i'm gonna be honest <laughs> <laughs> i experienced it the first time and that was enough i think i feel that like was enough. yeah but i did watch it fully last night because i wanted to see the detail oh. especially learning uh robert kurtzman was the makeup guy mm-hmm. um they had said that they slid a prosthetic hand over carla gugino's hand and so whenever they're doing that as it's starting to come apart, they're actually pulling at it with fishing lines. Oh my God. And the parts of her hand that look like skeletal muscle, that's her real hand underneath. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't look like it. No, <laughs> not at all. Doesn't. So she's basically it like literally is a degloving. Yeah. Yeah. So she's taking off this very, very disgusting glove. And that's brilliant. <laughs> but they had said that whenever they did the world premiere of this film the audience of course went like bonkers over it mm-hmm. somebody even fainted from watching it which i it's, it's did a lot. it's intense <laughs> yeah. yeah it's intense but they i think they said there were very very minor digital enhancements but everything else is practical man it looks good yes it does, it does. It's, it's one gruesome. of the greatest worst effects i've ever seen in my yes. life. <laughs> But Jesse looks down at her ruined hand and snaps into action. She stands and pushes the bed closer to her nightstand so she can reach the phone with her foot. She presses the home button, but Gerald was right. It is dead. She stands and pulls the bed with her until she can reach the bathroom counter. She reaches the key, but her hand is shaking so uncontrollably bad that she drops it again. She lets out a frustrated cry and picks it back up, holding it in her mouth and unlocking the cuff that way. Jessie is now completely free from the bed. She runs into the bathroom and drinks from the tap before digging through the drawers to find pads to wrap around her wrist and hand. I was like, that is fucking genius. Yeah, that's honestly when I was watching it. Um, that was my first thing. I was like, you're fucking smart. (laughs) You are so smart. I never thought to do that. Nope. Panting, she starts the impossible journey across the room to get the keys off the dresser, but she passes out. They had said that right here was supposed to be another scene, and they actually did film it. Mm -hmm. It was Jesse at her father's deathbed, and it was that entire scene, how it plays out, I don't know. But they said that there was something with the makeups and prosthetics to make Henry Thomas look older that Flanagan didn't really like Mm, anymore whenever it came time for the editing. And then he also said that if we put that scene right here, the momentum is dead. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to just keep going. And he made the right choice. He did. I wonder what that entailed, though. Yeah, I don't know. Because I can't imagine she got any closure. Is that in the book? I don't think so. Well, then it's good it's not here. (laughs) (laughs) I could be wrong. Okay. 
But she wakes up to the dog growling as he tries to chew on her wrapped hand. That's when it's a puppet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't that dog have anywhere else to be? Right. Like, no Jesus Christ. What did you do before we got here? When, how's that <laughs> How's that possum doing, man? Like, go fucking, go find. Jeez, man. She's able to smack him away, but she realizes that she has passed out right next to Gerald. The dog really has had his fill of him. Pieces of flesh missing from his chest. And for the first time, I noticed a large piece of his head. Yes. An ear is gone. He is now gray, too. She gets back up onto her feet and we see that it's completely night now. She walks very carefully to the dresser and snatches up her keys. She presses the fob and the car outside beeps. But this relief is short lived when the dog starts to growl. Jesse looks over at him and he begins to whimper and run away into the bathroom. It's like, you want to be fucking all in the mix (laughs) when things are fine, (laughs) but now you're going to run away. Trying to eat me and shit. Yes. I think my thing about it that is so like startling is that he's like, no, I'm cool with you guys. Yeah. (laughs) But this dude, I don't don't, don't like anything about this dude. If you're going to eat me, at least protect me. Protect your meal. Yeah. Fight back. Earn this meal. Seriously. Imagine if you're trying to eat your dinner and somebody's like, "Uh, excuse me. What the fuck? Right. No, no, no. What? Right. You want this hand? No. Yeah. Fight. Yeah. Ready? No. Use your hand to direct him to the yeah, moonlight. Yeah. Now. No. That's what I'm saying. Go. Yes. Yeah, but get him out of here. No. I don't like anything about this. <laughs> you know, I'm away in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Leaves. Let me know how it <laughs> how it all shakes out, and then we'll we'll talk about dinner. <laughs> Jesse stands in the doorway to the bedroom and at the end of the dark hall is the moonlight man. She walks toward him slowly, bringing us closer and closer as she whispers to him that he's only made of moonlight. She repeats this as a mantra as she eyes the jewelry he wears around his neck, decorated with bones and a human ear, as well as a rook skull, which is another huge Dark Tower reference. You'd love to see it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I still need to finish the Dark Tower. Yes, please. (laughs) But with her shaking wrapped hand, she pulls off her wedding ring and drops it into the Moonlight Man's waiting one. Jesse leaves the house as the diamond glitters in the moonlight. We cut to her car flying as it backs out of the driveway. But before she can drive away, she sees Gerald, fully clothed, standing in the yard of the house. He gives her a sad smile as he waves at her solemnly and Jesse gets the hell out of there. I will say oddly, even though I hate Gerald tremendously. It was a sad moment. It was sad to see yeah. his fucking yeah. force ghost or whatever. <laughs> like just thinking like about. He's Obi-Wan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thinking about the hope that Jesse probably had for the relationship. Yeah. What he could have meant. Yeah. And then this is how everything ends. New hope. Sad. Yeah, new hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she's heading towards. Yes. The car races down the road, but she has to do her best not to pass out behind the wheel. She's struggling with this, and when she nods off, she swerves off the forest road and nearly runs into a tree. She pleads with herself to stay awake just a little longer, but from our view in front of the car, the headlights dim. Just brilliant. Yeah. When Jessie lifts her head again to look through the windshield, she's bathed in a red light and the eclipse burns in the sky. She stares up at it, but when she looks in the rearview mirror, the moonlight man sits in the back seat, twin eclipses burning in his eyes. She quietly and calmly says, oh no. The moonlight man leans forward toward her seat and wraps a large arm around her. 
He brings his lips right next to her ear and whispers, mouse. As soon as he does, we're in the real world again. It's still night and Jesse crashes headfirst into a tree. So the visuals of that little nightmare. Yeah. Amazing. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite sequences in the whole film. Um, I did want to talk about that car crash Mm -hmm. because on commentary, Flanagan said that they had a stunt woman driving and whenever she went to break, because the thing was, is that this was a test. This is a test run. Okay. And they're like, well, let's roll on it anyway, just in case we get some angles that we can use. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she goes to do it and the brakes fail on the oh car. Oh, no. And so the only car that they have to do this with, that's it. <gasps> yeah. And so the crash was way worse than what they had <sighs> planned. Yeah. She was okay, thankfully. Yeah. But this was not <laughs> what was supposed to happen. Okay. Because I was like, damn, she got fucked yeah. up. Yeah. She... And it was bad. There are shots later that we do see, and Jess is not as banged no, up <laughs> no, she, yeah. as she would have been. And he's like, fuck, we filmed that first. Yeah. yeah. And so they just had to use it. Yeah. But I was like, oh my God, because that impact is jarring. Yeah. yeah. But it sells the edit of that cut. It, it does. does. So it's like, you know, I mean, accidents. It was it was a uh, well, happy accident. I mean, it was not really but happy-ish accident. It was a it was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was an, just accident. an accident. <laughs> just a regular kind of accident. Yes, period. But lights come on in a house hidden in the trees. Jesse is motionless behind the wheel, bloodied from the crash, but she wakes up coughing. She looks over at the house where people have come out to investigate with flashlights. She slams down on the horn and the flashlights turn in her direction. As people from the house come toward her, Jesse gets out of the car and is only able to say hi before passing out. The next thing we see is Jesse's gloved hand reaching into a desk to retrieve paper. It still shakes as she grabs her pen, but she brings it to the paper. She begins to write a letter, explaining that she's using her right hand and its frictionless burn glove. She says it still doesn't work quite right after three skin graft surgeries and it hurts to write, but maybe this letter should hurt to write. We see Jessie being tended to at a hospital as she continues that everyone accepted her amnesia at face value, which made sense. Trauma makes people block out memories. Everyone knows that and no one better than her. We see her at a meeting with lawyers from Gerald's firm who were able to keep the details out of the papers. The coroner declared that Gerald died of a heart attack, which had been a long time coming. They're like, dude was jacked. (laughs) His heart was like a hummingbird. (laughs) But we can all agree he was ripped as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Like, is that proper lawyer conversation? (laughs) Can you just sign the paper, please? (laughs) She says that the insurance paid and the headlines faded and life became a new normal. We see Jesse in bed, tossing and turning from nightmares, as she admits that it wasn't a new normal. It was never normal. Red light glows over her as she tries to sleep, but she sits up and sees him standing between the windows of her bedroom, the moonlight man and his glowing eclipse eyes. He holds out his case to her filled with bones and jewelry and a handcuff. Again, amazing. Yeah. It looks so, and it's awful, but it looks fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's terrible. I'm (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I (laughs) guess. Jesse curls up in the bed sobbing and the letter continues that if he wasn't keeping her up at night, it was the fact that in all the reports or all the searches of the house, they never found her wedding ring. Now at her desk, she stops to tend to her aching hand. The letter continues that what got her through those nights was the person that she's writing to, thinking of her and why she came to her that day. 
We see young Jesse standing in front of the swing, staring up at the eclipse outside of the lake house. She describes her as living in a sunless world, always on that swing. Young Jesse turns back to look at us. Jesse, in her slip, walks in on Tom, knelt before young Jesse in her bedroom. He snaps a pair of cuffs onto her wrists, and she explains that Tom's shackles were silence. We see Jesse and Gerald on their wedding day. As he slides the ring onto her finger, she says that Gerald's shackles were comfort. We see Jesse talking with teenage girl, played by Dory Lumpkin. She says that her days were better. She started a foundation for kids like them. Since she spent so long never telling her story, she made sure that she told it. And she tells it every day to every kid that it could help. I don't know why I think it's the way the camera sweeps uh, the Newton brothers piano Mm -hmm. and obviously her performance. But when that scene mm-hmm. lit happened it gave me goosebumps yeah no it's it's wonderful yeah. yeah she's a fucking hero yeah we see her beginning to tell her story to the teenage girl but we cut to her sitting in the middle of her bed she says that all that during the day didn't help her at night waiting for the moonlight man to come and claim his runaway bride we see her sitting outside reading a paper and having coffee she says that six months after everything happened was when she saw raymond andrew jobert's picture in the paper the headline reads, Crypt Keeper Captured in Fairhope, Alabama. Jesse's hand trembles as she holds the paper. I just got to say kudos to the newspapers because Crypt Creeper. That's yeah, good. that's, <laughs> that's good. great work. She continues that the stories of graveyards being vandalized in Alabama started two years ago, but she never read about them in New Orleans. And it was on the radio. Yes. And it ties that to that now. Yes. Yeah. They were tiny buried stories anyway. Someone was breaking into small town cemeteries and stealing jewelry from the corpses. But as months went by, it escalated. In Louisiana, he defiled corpses, gouging eyes and slitting throats. Last February, he took two noses, then hands, then ears. I guess referring to Gerald's face, she says she always assumed that was the dog. And I didn't realize until this time that I was like, oh, fuck, that was Gerald's ear. Yeah, we saw it. Yeah, I didn't know until your sister showed me. I was like, yeah. man. He works quick because that yeah. necklace was. <laughs> no, it was on point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> it was gross. It was, yeah. <laughs> These old things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it escalated to the level of him committing necrophilia on men that he found. She counts herself lucky in this regard. But when she saw him on the front page, it wasn't about a dead body. A man woke up to find Raymond Andrew Jobert in his room, naked and trying to cut off his ear. I cannot imagine. Like, that is the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Last week I said um, Maida attacking Hess with an axe was top five worst ways to wake up. No. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and knock that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, put that up there. <laughs> she says that Jobert has acromegaly, which explains his appearance. We travel down the hallway back to the bedroom where Jesse was trapped, where Jobert stands. She says they went to his last known address, a farmhouse. He wasn't there, but his sister and her husband were. Jobert called them mommy and daddy. They were both scalped and he had eaten most of his sister's husband. We watch as the police enter Jobert's home of horrors, where his sister and her husband sit propped up in chairs in the living room. She continues that there were 50 bell jars filled with ears, lips, and fingers. They think he could have killed as many as 12 people in the last five years. But Jesse notes that he spared her. 
We see that blood stain that looks suspiciously like a footprint back in the bedroom. She says that this monster was as real as the cuffs and the dog and as real as the eclipse. At her desk, Jessie holds the letter in her hands as we hear her finish reading it. She says that she had to write this letter to Mouse because she's the only person who would understand and the only one who truly matters. Jessie stands in front of the lake house now, looking up at the eclipse. Behind her, young Jessie sits on the swing and reads the rest out loud. She says that Jobert is being arraigned tomorrow and she's going to be there because the people who are supposed to protect them from the monsters turned out to be the monsters themselves and it almost killed them. They say the last part together. Jessie tells her younger self that it's time for the sun to come out. After so long, they deserve the sun. The first time I saw this, I was like bawling by this part. Well, it's very emotional. Yes. Yeah. Multiple reporters broadcast from the steps outside the courthouse. One makes it a point to say that Jobert hasn't spoken a word since his arrest, not even to his public defender. All right. Uh, <laughs> so that was funny. thank you. <laughs> yeah. I wonder. I wonder if yeah. he's going to talk in there, you guys. <laughs> Jesse walks into the courtroom as the county clerk, played by Mike Flanagan's sibling, Jamie Flanagan, yes. reads right. off the multiple counts against Jobert. Every time I see their name pop up, I'm like, ah! Yeah, <laughs> such a small cameo, too. Yeah, that's cool, though. Mm-hmm. Very much. She tries to get Jobert's attention by saying, hey, but when no one acknowledges her, she says it again louder. Everyone stops and turns toward her, including the judge played by Gwendolyn McCann. Towering over everyone else with his hands cuffed in front of him, Jobert looks at Jesse and smiles. He tells her, you're not real. He raises his hands, breaking the cuffs between them and holding his arms wide, mocking the way Jesse had been stuck. When he broke those, I was like, oh, I didn't know he could. Do that. Yeah. He's <laughs> he like, Yo, that. you really didn't think you were keeping me here. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm here because I want to yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> he repeats himself, adding, you're only made of moonlight. Officers rush to cuff him behind his back and Jesse advances toward him. As she stares at Jobert and he stares back at her, he suddenly becomes Tom. Then he's Gerald. Then he's Jobert again. With the entire courtroom staring at them behind her, Jesse walks up to Jobert and smiles. With a little laugh, she tells him that he's so much smaller than she remembers. He looks at her like, I'm fucking yeah. sorry? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I am seven feet tall. <laughs> yeah, I'm seven feet say. tall. <laughs> I just broke these cuffs. Yeah, with ease. Man, and when they were reading off the charges, I was like, damn, he was acting a fool. Yeah, he well, was, he, was out. Yeah. he made a lot of bad choices. <laughs> made a lot of bad choices. <laughs> yeah. That sums it up. He is going away for a long time. <laughs> well, I think this is the last we're going to see of Jobert. We can fucking hope so. <laughs> Jobert looks confused, but Jesse offers nothing else. She turns and walks out of the courtroom. Outside, she walks past the reporters and smiles. She puts on her sunglasses as a calm score plays and she walks off down the street. The last traces of an eclipse disappear to reveal only a bright and shining sun in the sky above her. It cuts to black and the credits roll. So what did you guys think of Gerald's game? I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's some of the stuff in it that's hard to, you know, stomach and whatever, but I do understand that it's necessary to tell the story. Mm-hmm. That it's the story. It's the movie. You know what I mean? It's fucking adaptation yeah. from the book. So you kind of got to do it. 
but it 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 is done really good and i don't normally like real world stuff you know what i mean and and but this this is done so good mm-hmm. and then I did like a lot of the stuff that they did in this movie and your sister would point out the differences from the book and this and I've I've never read the book but I like what's going on here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I enjoy how this is being pulled off and told and explained and again I think watching all this dude's stuff now and then going back and seeing all these faces it makes it a little better because I'm more familiar with them already. Right. So I know this cast. I didn't before, but now I do. And it's like, oh, okay, I know this is going to be good because all of you guys are fucking fantastic at what you do. It's like seeing your old friends. Right. Um, But uh, yeah, it's it's heavy. Yes. Um, But I did enjoy the shit out of this movie. I really, really, really love this movie. I feel like it's Mike Flanagan not only showing what makes his adaptations great, Mm -hmm. but what makes him great as an original filmmaker. Yeah. So you see all these changes that are made for good reasons. Mm -hmm. We get more of that in Dr. Sleep. Yeah. But I feel like this is just such a great film. It's, It's gruesome. It is tragic. It is emotionally exhausting at times yeah. yeah but it's incredibly poignant and resonant yeah and so i mean i don't know it's it's also very well made yeah the choices made the lack of music and the music when yeah. the music returns at the end it's like it's uplifting again mm-hmm. and her telling her whole story it's just like it just works so perfectly i will say i know that there's a lot of critiques about the ending that's where a lot of people Really? Yeah. Whenever I read reviews and even the novel, people think that the ending is like, what the fuck? Where'd this come from? But Oh, about Jobert? Yeah. With the entire thing. And I'll be honest, the first time I saw the movie, it ends so perfectly for Jesse. I was afraid the last shot of the film was going to be her in bed with flies oh buzzing my around her. Oh, God. Oh, wow. Because I'm like, this is so perfect. You saying yeah. that gave me chills. I'm sorry. I would have I <laughs> fucking cried. Like in the credits, just roll around the buzzing noise or whatever. Yeah. That's what I was afraid of. But- that's I, so sad. Oh, it is. And it, I'm glad it didn't happen. <laughs> in the novel, she spits in his face. In Jobert's face? Yeah. I'm glad she said words instead. <laughs> yeah. She spits in his face and the letter that she's writing is to that friend whose voice she was hearing in her head that yeah. she hasn't talked to since college or whatever. Yeah, all right. I think it's a lot more powerful that she's writing it to Mouse, to yeah. young Jesse. And that connects everything thematically better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And not only that, but also the line that she says to Jobert connects back to when they arrived at the house. Yeah. I. She said she thought the house was smaller. Yep. And he said it's because you're bigger. And this is her. You're bigger. Yes. It's great. Yeah. You know. And so I understand the critiques because it does. It. It is a lot of reading and a lot of narration at the end. Yeah. But at the same time, and it may serve the character and this is what they talked about in the commentary it may serve the character better than it does the film but the character deserves it yeah yeah so i'm not complaining like john paul said earlier she's been through enough yes give her this and then seeing the uh eclipse finish yeah resolve yeah and just become the sun it's it's that's great well because like she said you never walked away like you're still there yeah and now she can she's literally walking she's away she's fucking strutting into the sunlight yeah, yeah. And, and a she's... very cute dress they look good yeah <laughs> um i love this obviously 
it was literally like I, I said earlier, it felt like it was a personal gift. Um, you guys already said everything, basically. <laughs> I mean, the music, the way that it's shot, the performances. Yes. Um, it's so it pulls so much out of you. Like you said, it is emotionally exhausting. I can't imagine like Carla Guagino literally at I think when she's in the process of degloving herself or setting herself up to be degloved, her lips are like stuck together because they're yes. so dry. It's like you want to look away. It's so horrible what her body is going through. I just, I, I'm like, <laughs> I don't have words. It's, it's bad. It's, it's it is. bad. It's really, really bad. They said that was Elmer's, by the way. Oh my God. <laughs> it works. Something it so simple. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it, it did its job. Um, but I mean, I, I think we can probably just go into ratings. Sure. Like I was just rambling before. This is, I think this is one of the best adaptations I've ever seen. And not the fact that it's like 1000% faithful or anything, but the changes that were made suit the characters and suit the story. And I just, you watch this, you, you love the novel. Mm -hmm. And then you watch this and you really can't ask for anything more. The Moonlight Man in my head was terrifying. He was so fucking scary. Even at the end when they're describing like his stature, terrifying. Mm -hmm. Seeing him, he's terrifying. This, these are two separate things that are happening, but putting the eclipse in his eyes and tying him to this trauma, I just can't... I. I, I, I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. It's masterful. This is why I'm always saying fucking Mike Flanagan for president. Uh -huh. It's just so thoughtful. I love the leap from, man, he makes amazing horror films. He should run he the should country. He should run our country. He's so thoughtful. Yes. Can you imagine the speeches? Oh, they'd be pointing. You know, it's a, it's a monologue. He's the oh, king. Oh, shit, yes. He's the king of all the right, monologue. All right, I'm voting for Mike Flanagan. Fucking vote for Mike Flanagan. Write him in. Um, <laughs> uh... But I mean, all that to say, on a scale from one to ten, eternal total eclipses, I'm gonna blow everyone's tits off when I say that I'm giving Gerald's game ten out of ten eternal total eclipses. This film is very dark and very sad and very hard to watch at a lot of parts, mm -hmm. but it is so special to me because, again, all the the references, the empowerment of this character who we see go through just the worst things imaginable it's very special and i just i love it so much i think that is one thing to consider as well because there is like the majority of the film she is fucking miserable yeah oh yeah and in peril like you wouldn't believe but i think that that is the message to leave you with is an empowering one yeah and her telling her younger self, you're the one that matters. You're the only one that matters. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm writing this letter to you. It's like, God, like to hide away that part of her for this whole time. And now, you know, confronting it, embracing it, shining a light, a light on it. And moving forward, I just she's my hero, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just it's it's amazing. It's an amazing film. I will say it's probably not for everyone because of the subject matter. Yes. But if you can watch it, I highly, highly recommend it because while a lot of it is horrible and gruesome, a lot of it is really thoughtful and beautiful. But I will now open up the floor to you. I I really like this movie. 
I was surprised how much I liked this movie because there is a, some heavy shit in here, but it's just done so good. Mm-hmm. And then, like we spoke earlier about it being in one location. So you have to keep us in the movie in this one location the whole time. And it was pulled it was pulled off great. Yeah. And I can't even sit here and be like, but you know, this and that. Like, yeah, maybe I can find something to com- complain about. But really, it, I don't feel like it's worth it because everything, everything I felt like was done for a reason. And it was done, I don't want to say respectfully because I don't know the book. But from how well and how much your sister talks about it and loves it, I, I mean, you can see it there. Yeah. You know what I mean? The the care he took with writing things and thinking through how things are going to come out. And then you, you know, telling us about how the scenes he took out, he's like, nah, you know what? That's not, that doesn't fit there anymore. Let's get rid of it. Yeah. To have the know-how to do that and and the wisdom, right? And to and and again, it goes back to just the one room. We're in this single location uh-huh. for a large majority of the movie. So I mean, it it is good. It is a bit heavy. Um, and as a father of daughters, it makes me very angry seeing shit like this. Uh, so it 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 is a bit heavy, but I can't deny how good the movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody gives it their all and I know it's a small cast but it's fantastic so for me on a scale from 1 to 10 eternal total eclipses I'm going to give Gerald's game an 8 I did like the movie a lot Mm -hmm. but like I said and I've stated before yeah real world stuff real heavy shit that like I don't want to be reminded of shit that's going on you Mm -hmm. know what i mean it just makes me angry no i get that yeah for me i think that i'm just impressed by it every single time just how masterful everything comes together yeah the themes that they're portraying here and the message that you come away from it with are just incredibly done everything is handled with a lot of care they it it is a very difficult balance to deal with this kind of subject matter. Yeah. And I feel like Flanagan really really was careful and cared about how everything was done. Mhm. Oh yeah. And I very much appreciate that and not just behind the scenes but the way that it shows on the screen. Yeah. Because it is very heavy and it is very very difficult. Yeah. But um just to speak very quickly on the positives i've already mentioned the performances Mm -hmm. uh the story of it itself is incredibly well written the writing what i can attribute to king what i can attribute to flanagan i personally am not sure yeah but those monologues from basically everybody oh yeah Yeah. fantastic bruce greenwood yes scared the hell out of me (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna be afraid to go to sleep tonight (laughs) But uh, Carla Gugino is a fucking superstar. Mm -hmm. Um, Just brilliant performance of her playing Jesse and uh, Jesse (laughs) 2. Electric (laughs) Electric Boogaloo. That was just great work. And it's the thing of the differences between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Jesse 2 is so certain and confident. And Jesse is fucking going through the worst thing ever. And you feel the difference. It's it's a very nuanced performance on both sides. Mm Yeah. Obviously, I have to call out the camera work. It's fantastic. Have to call out the music. 
Yeah. Great work from the Newton brothers as always. The makeup effects. Look, man, that degloving scene (laughs) is one of the worst goddamn things I've ever seen. I can't. And it doesn't. We we digest a lot of horror, not just as part of the show, just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For funsies. Just for funsies. But it takes a lot for me to turn away. Yeah. And there were there were times I'm like, I don't know how much more I could take of this. Yeah. It's maybe I just have a thing about hands. It's awful. But I um, can't even put into words how great that is. But um, I think the only negative, I really can't really think of one, you know? The only thing that I will say, I understand that the ending is a little jarring. Mm-hmm. It works in a lot of ways because of how much we want Jesse to yeah. be okay. And how much yeah. she deserves And it. how much she deserves to. And so that works on that front, but it is like when we've been so isolated in this basically one location thing, Mm -hmm. and then we're like, we're going to end it with a lot of narration. (laughs) It's like, all right, I mean, that's one way to go, but it's good to see. Yeah. So it's not even a full negative. Yeah. It's just like, well, I mean, that's, if that's how it goes in the book, he's being faithful. Yeah. He's being faithful. And we all know King and his endings are, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) hit or miss. The fucking I'll never get over needful things. I knew too. you were gonna yeah. say that. I'm let telling you right now. I spent. Let never it mind. go. <laughs> yeah, but that, that was CK. That was <laughs> Cocaine King. We, yeah, yeah, we don't talk about yeah. that. We don't talk about that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and the other only thing is that I I don't have that connection to the novel because I never read it, mm-hmm. and I don't have that pull of nostalgia or anything for this. It's very new. I feel like the score will go up as I continue to experience this film. Yeah, appreciate it more and see different things about it. But for me. On a scale of one to ten, Eternal Total Eclipses. I am going to give Gerald's game nine Eternal Total Eclipses out of ten. Hey. Because I do very much appreciate this movie and I will be watching it again. Maybe not all of the hand bark. <laughs> <laughs> I, Are you the dog? No. <laughs> the problem is, is I was going to say at the end, I was gonna say I hope people appreciate all the dog jokes. <laughs> and I started thinking about the dog and I said bark. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Dude, this is late. It's late. It's too yeah. late. It is late. <laughs> so good bark, everyone. <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate Gerald's game and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke, at RealStreeter84, and at TravisMWH. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special shout out to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, in a world where the people who are supposed to protect us can be scarier than what we're being protected from, the one voice you should be sure to never ignore is your own. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Yeah. yeah. Woo. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> bark. I was yeah. to say a special bark too. <laughs> a special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers, ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, 
Jonathan, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhardt, Armand Spasto, Aaron Aguirre, Eggy, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Eden, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montalvo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Towton Watson, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Maya Noches, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Ben Coons, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Hannah R, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, M. Fryback, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Higata, William Rush, Katerina, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Morgan Frenomorph, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Carlos J. Mota, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Paul Jordan, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Cody Graves, Andy Terrell, Gage, and Wizard Boner. <laughs> That's one day, huh? <laughs> uh, what? I Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I was like, how do we end these again? We've all been... <laughs> okay, so I wrote this before what you said earlier, but... Okay. We love you like a hungry dog loves Kobe beef. Hey, right. Very good. Bark. Bark. <laughs> bark you all very much. <laughs> we can't bark you enough. <laughs> Until next bark. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>